Welcome everyone. Do it again. Welcome everyone to the Screamcast, episode 178. I am your always professional host, Hunter Raker. Welcome to the podcast. Very excited for today's uh, today's episode. Last weekend, I kind of teased it. The week the week before, Brad talked about we're going to be doing the, uh, the the creep show work print. So here we are. And then out of the blue, Brad says that uh, writer director Joe Lynch is going to join us. So. I'm sweating bullets, but it's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Why? It's just, <laughs> it's know, just me, guys. Come on, please. So, I'm very, well, uh, look, I, I'm honored to be part of this. So, like, please, this is this, like, I got, I'm the one who was all nervous all day. I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, the scream cast. I can't screw this up. So don't, don't fuck this up, Lynch. Yeah. Leave the, leave the fuck it up to me, Joe. Um, Anyway, so we all yeah, we all uh, we'll, we'll we'll fuck up. We, we all watch the the uh, the work print of Creep Show, and we'll be giving all of you our thoughts on it. But Brad, I wanted to turn it over to you because this was kind of your idea. I love the idea of watching work prints and talking about them. Um, you know, like work print is to. Well, I mean, Joe's the expert, but I mean, will work prints? I think are like what ultimately is the director's vision Joe's of the, of his film. <laughs> Of their film, and uh, and well, I mean, goes from there. Here, but, I'll, I'll cut but, you off before, before you I may, yeah, before okay. I screw this thing up. Yeah, so no, well, the, first off, happy birthday to Joe Lynch. Oh shit! Happy birthday! Oh, thanks. Ha- happy birthday! Google birthday. says Google says I'm 71 years old, so like, I'm still you still kicking. Pretty good for 71. Yeah. You should bad. see you sh- you should see the painting in my attic. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Is it like a Dorian Gray painting? Does it get older and you get younger? Uh, no, it just gets fatter. It started. It started as a portrait and it started going into like a quad, like a, like a mm. British quad poster. By the end of it, it's just like the fat is just falling over the seams of the frame. Uh, it's it's like I'm like turning into Akira at the end, where it's just like turning into this mass of flesh. But uh, but yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, like it's uh, it's an honor to still be alive. It sucked because it was like it was my birthday, and then George Segal died, and I'm like, oh. oh god damn it, like son of a bitch, like. And what's funny too is that I um I got to meet George on the set of The Goldbergs a couple of years ago. I was shadowing a director to possibly direct an episode, and um and it's so weird because you know like I'm such a huge fan of the show, and I you know like I'm a sucker for the '80s, so of course I was gravitating towards the show. But like Jeff Garland, huge fan of Jeff Garland, and fucking George Seagal. Like I was really nervous. So I go on set and I was there before anyone else. And I just, you know, kind of snuck behind the couch or whatever. And the first person who said hello and like, welcome was George Seagal. And like, I mean, the guy's a legend and I'm like, who am I? Uh, And it was also the day that um, they announced South by Southwest so um, that that's when I found out, like via text, like "Oh, you mayhem got into South by." I'm like, "Oh!" And he's like, "This is huge for you, South by Southwest." And I knew in the back of of my head and his, he's going, "What South by Southwest?" <laughs> <laughs> but he was still so cool and so complimentary. And then after maybe an hour of just shooting the shit with this screen legend. Uh, a producer like rolls out this huge birth. It was his birthday. And it was just like, Oh my God, what the fuck am I doing here? It's so weird. But the the man is a legend. And hopefully like, 
it's one of those situations where when someone like that, who's got such a massive body of work, uh, leaves us, you know, they're, they're leaving us with such a legacy of, of film, you know, everything. I mean, like just who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. I just watched again because of the Mike Nichols book that came out and Oh my God, he's just amazing in that. He's, he's been consistently amazing for decades. So knowing that you have someone like that, who, you know, like kind of ended his career on such a high note on being like a, a huge television show, but to leave us with such a legacy of film, like to me, that's the sort of indication that like no one ever truly dies when they're in cinema because they are, they're leaving this timestamp and watching someone like that, like grow up like George Segal did, you know, since he started working in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was just one of those icons. So yeah, it was, it was a very bittersweet day to be like, yay, I'm old. And then shit, I'm going to die soon. Like George Segal. Damn it. <laughs> oh. Well, one of uh, one of my discoveries last year was uh, a George Seagal film, uh, King Rat. Has anybody here seen King Rat? Someone was just talking about King Rat. I think it was. Um, oh my god! Uh, it was uh, Scott Scott Farkas, Zach uh, Zach Ward from Oh uh, yeah, Christmas from Story. Christmas Story. Yeah, just tweeted about that, and I'm like, oh, oh wow. I haven't thought about that movie in free, in years. No, that's um, that's an amazing. Uh, you know, dark comedy and it, his, perf- I mean, his performances are always funny when it, when it calls to be funny, but man, he could go to the, the dark places too. Even, even in the highest comedies, you know, even on yeah. stupid, uh, just shoot me. <laughs> like he would, he would have more depth than mm-hmm. uh, you would expect in a, a laugh track show, but King, King rats phenomenal. Really funny. You're phenomenal. You Brad. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, so happy birthday, Joe Lynch. Thank you. Uh, and then, you know, I thought it was uh, various things uh, I wanted to do. Uh, one, I wanted to do the work print thing just because it's interesting. Um, and uh, two, well, two other things is one, we got this, you know, new thing with with the Snyder cut for for Justice League. So everybody's, you know, thinking that all oh, there's all these various cuts. Well, there, there is, there's various cuts of pretty much every movie. Yeah. Um, release the air exist. cut and re- re- release the Kubrick yeah. cut and release, you know, release the, the, the Tommy Visu cut, release them all. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just all these various cuts, but you know, it, the, the work prints an interesting thing because yeah, you know, I think, well, any, any, any alternate cut of a movie is interesting enough when there's enough material in it that was cut um you know removed or even stuff that was added that alters the story not so much you know oh this is you know one extra minute of the movie it's an unrated director's cut when they used to try to sell that shit on dvd which never it doesn't matter that stuff is bullshit um but then also (laughs) joe lynch is coming back with your creep show tv show with season uh season Uh, two so there's there's uh, that there's that too Lots of lots of connections. Believe me, uh, having been subjected to the infamous producer cut situation like I did with Knights of Bad Aston, uh, there's been a release the Lynch cut for, for that for years. Um, actually, that's how I kind of was able to <clears throat> kind of distance myself from the cut that ended up going out was, um, you know, it's a very long story. You don't need to hear it. But uh, Knights of Bad Aston was a total fucking shit show. Uh, it was a Ponzi scheme. And the, uh, the financiers just decided to take it away from the filmmakers. And because one of them said, well, guys, I know horror comedy. 
I saw Shaun of the Dead twice. <laughs> That's all you needed. It's all you needed. So, um, so there, you know, there is a very different version of Knights of Bad Astem that is floating around there somewhere. And uh, people have been talking about it for, for years. Um, but when they, they were going to do a fire sale, which was basically, oh, shit, we have seven lawsuits against us. We need to sell this now. They, um, they held a screening. And immediately I started getting calls and texts from, uh, from some of the people like from RLJ and from IFC, people that I've known in the past, asking, like, is this your cut? Or like, I heard that there was some shit going on behind the scenes. I couldn't really tell them because that I could get sued for that. So what I did was I took a, a picture of someone with a paper cut on their thumb and I just put that on my Instagram and just wrote, not my cut. That was it. <laughs> and immediately that's all it took for bloody disgusting to run a story about, wait a second, this isn't Joe's cut so much so that someone actually went to that screening at century city. And as the lights went down, someone went, this isn't Joe's cut. It's bullshit. <laughs> and people left. <laughs> so the next day, wow. the, um, the the asshole, again, the Silver Fox, who thought he knew how to make horror comedies because he watched Shaun of the Dead twice, called up my manager and said, we're going to fucking sue Joe for doing that. And, the, and my manager goes, can I just ask a question? Where in that Instagram post does it say anything about Knights of Bad Aston? Well, nowhere, but you know like but but i know what he's talking about he's like so right so there's nothing that you consume over right we'll we'll, we'll fight click just just fucking hung up on him so you know it's it's one of those things that like like watching the the uh work print of creep show last night which was a thrill because and, and this is a humble brag but when you know you get someone like Greg Nicotero writing you, texting you, going like "Happy birthday," and you're like, "Oh my god, Greg Nicotero!" And so I texted him back and took a picture of the screen and showed him and said, "Creep show work print." He's like, "Oh, can I see that too?" And I'm like, mm, "No, you cannot, Greg, until I get final cut on my segment." No, um, but watching how various versions of a film can go through so many different permeations. Um, and and to have those versions uh, get out there and be public, you know, and mo- for for all intents and purposes, those versions of the of the film, a lot of times are not mixed. It's not final effects. You know, they yeah. are they they are TBDs. They're temps. Um, I was shocked how advanced the cut was that we ended up watching. You know, even though it was literally, it looked like it was shot through a like a, a shit filter. Um, like a, a, a generation, it's the it was the kind of low fidelity that you you have to buy on like After Effects for thousands of dollars to make it look that <laughs> shitty. Um, but to see like you know I've been so ensconced in creep show lore for the past, especially the past year, having worked on the show twice now. Um, oh shit, I'm not supposed to say I did season three. Oops, oh, there you go. Oops, we don't uh, edit. So you sorry. didn't hear that from me. Oh, darn. Uh, well, I, I, I might have something to do with season three in some form, um, but it's, it's been my life uh, for the past year. But even just reminiscing about Creepshow, Creepshow was one of those films that was so influential to me because it was one of the first films very much like Dawn of the Dead, uh, another Romero joint. Um, I really wish he used a George Romero joint. That would have been so much cooler. Um, but he was one of those filmmakers that was somehow able to blend uh, horror and humor and even commentary, mm-hmm. you know, using very um, 
very normal genre tropes. So as a kid, I remember, you know, Creepshow, Creepshow scared the shit out of me, but it was also graphically a ple- a, like pleasing. It was also really funny. Mm-hmm. And I, like it kind of rewired my brain into thinking like you can find humor in the darkest moments. You can find, you know, terror in the most ludicrous of situations too. Um, but what was interesting about watching, uh, you know, this work print back was, you know, all the things that were omitted from the final film. And you're right, like, it, you know, there, there's not a lot, you know, taken out. You know, it's like little trims here and there in certain segments. In other segments, it's those little alter- alternate versions that really make a difference, that really set a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that I was really like excited to see. Cause at first, like first five minutes, I'm texting Brad going, the hell am I watching this for? And, and he's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. And, and, but then you do see the subtle differences. And from, from, from someone who has watched every frame of creep show, creep show two, and <clears throat> yes, even creep show three. Um, I feel like I, it, it's so much a part of my DNA now, because, you know, one of the things that, um, Greg wanted to do with the show from season one and especially now in season two now that we've kind of got our sea legs a little bit was to make sure that it feels as honest and as um, close to the spirit of what George and and Stephen King and Tom Savini and Mike Gornick and John Harrison and everybody in the like that whole Laurel clan what they were set out to do back in 82 was to make something akin to an EC comic, you know, like those, um, those Richard Gaines, you know, tales from the crypt type things that played with, you know, very black humor that played with extreme amounts of gore that would just piss off the comics, you know, the comics rating system. Um, so yeah, like it was, it was a blast to kind of step back into that world, having just finished the, uh, the episodes that I did or maybe did, for season three that uh so so it was it was a nice little coda to uh to end the thing but thank you i I was thrilled to watch it yeah and the 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 cool thing about this is that you know you know because i'm seeing this a lot right now on on social media and just in general people asking for alternate cuts and and the interesting thing is that there's, there's there's so many with every film you know i i i tell people that there's uh I think it's like two hours and 45 minutes, a, a, a alternate cut of Roadhouse. You know, the, the Jason takes Manhattan was like two. Tell two and a half me hours. more. <laughs> yeah. I just, like J- we just did on uh, on the movie crypt podcast that I do. We just did a live uh, commentary for Roadhouse. Oh, and uh, like, well, have you guys seen, uh, have you guys gotten the, um, the shout factory disc? Holy shit. That there is more love for Roadhouse on there than it than there is for the fucking Criterion edition for Pads of Glory. It's amazing <laughs> how much went into that movie. I mean, when you tell people that like Dean Cundy shot that film, uh, and this was this was the little movie he wanted to do to take a breather after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, <laughs> you know, like or the amount of time it took them weeks to do that final uh, fight scene, like. I they'd only maybe want to see the two hour and 45 minute version of Roadhouse more because Keith David got completely cut out of the movie. Um, Like when you even say like, oh, yeah, and Keith David is in Roadhouse. Wait, what? And he's got glasses on. Tell me more. You know, like (laughs) it's it's one of the look, every every movie has alternate versions. You know, it's very rare, if 
ever that your rough cut or it, even your um, what they like to describe as the director's cut, because mm-hmm. usually like if you're in the DGA or even not like um, you'll get a certain amount of time when you're finished shooting the film to actually sit down with the editor and cut the movie. And if you're lucky, you know, if you're in the DGA in that case, you can um, you can basically just tell everybody to go fuck off and you can just sit there and play with the movie and try to shape it the way that you want to do it. But the moment that you're done with that, um, you know, when you screen it for producers, you screen it for the studio, like, I I can't think of any movie I've ever heard that has ever been like, and we got no notes, (laughs) never. So there's always going to be something that either gets altered, like gets um, augmented or gets trimmed out for time, for tone, for pacing, for performance. So, you know, every film in the history of cinema will have an alternate cut. It's just by w- by what degrees are those alternate cuts going to be something that is so significant to the um, the overall effect of the film, or is or or can you watch that sort of thing and go, eh, I get it. You know, there's been so many movies, especially with the advent of laserdisc and DVD and so on and so forth, where you can just present these sort of things in a nonlinear fashion. Because you know, back on VHS, in most cases, you couldn't have that, but to be able to watch deleted scenes and to be able to watch certain, you know, alternate cuts of things, you know, from, from a filmmaker standpoint, it's nice to see like, Oh, so I get why that, you know, that got cut out or that got cut out for time. It makes sense. Um, but sometimes you get lucky and you get to see certain films where the, the cuts are what like heaven's gate is wildly different from, you know, from the original intent. Um, and sometimes you go, um, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, and then sometimes you get Steven Soderbergh who just recuts it again and <laughs> shows it in a completely different light. Do you guys remember yeah. that when he was re? Yeah, when he was re-releasing uh, his cuts of uh, other people's films. But let me ask you this: <laughs> what, what do you guys think about um, what? What if the producers said we're going to keep Keith David or Jeff Healy, and like <laughs> they had to exercise? <laughs> Keith David <laughs> to keep Jeff Healy. Like, would you do that? <laughs> you can look that. Wow. That's a Sophie's choice right there. Let's be fair. Like, like as much as I love, like I love Keith David. If you don't have Jeff Healy in those moments where the mm-hmm. name is Dalton, like you don't have roadhouse, yeah. you know, like, especially with the music, such a oh, huge yeah. component of that. And he uh, fucking sorry, dodges Keith. a bottle. He's blind and he fucking dodges bottles when he's behind that chicken wire. <laughs> I, lo- I love how we've already gone off on the tangent of Roadhouse yeah. where Brad <laughs> drops Roadhouse as a side. As a, and a side sorry, and sorry. And everyone's That's sorry. Happens. Roadhouse yeah. is the yeah. best Christmas movie. We'll we'll uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll jump back. But yeah, um, you know, the, th- the, the backstory on uh, Creepshow is that um, the, the, I think the final version is two hours and some change. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's just two hours max. And then the, the work print is, uh, runs a, about 10 minutes extra. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that it's, it's something that you watch and, you know, there are little trims here and there, uh, you know, an extra, you know, shot before someone reaches for something or an extra line. But in, in two of the segments, uh, uh, I, what's the first segment called? I can't remember. Father's Father's Day. Day. Father's Day. You know, there's some there's some really good shit 
in there that is that is that is taken out and and the story behind it is rubenstein is the one that uh and apparently george didn't want to do it um but uh i guess there was a lot of debate on the running time um and they wanted it under you know try to get under two hours so it you know kind of makes sense why there is all these little cuts uh throughout the film you know where there's like three seconds or two seconds because if you do pair them up uh, side by side, uh, there are just really tiny, like two, three second cuts in various places. But there's also some bigger chunks uh, with with like backstory and Father's Day that is really kind of good for the for the plot yeah. in those. And then um, you know the the Leslie Nielsen Ted dance and the um, what's that one? I'm, I'm drawing up like the tide, uh, something tide something to tide you over. Yeah, that's the, that's the one that had the most significant change oh, yeah. in terms of just oh, tone yeah. and intention. And mm-hmm. I'm so curious if it was something that was related to Leslie Nielsen at the time, because you know, like at that point, Leslie had reinvented his career from his more um, serious roles in like Forbidden Planet and all the you know, the pulpier stuff from like the, the 60s and 70s. But when he did Airplane, he reinvented himself as a, like a, a comedy guy. Yeah. And then to do Creep Show, like I, I would not be surprised if maybe they'd had a test screening and said like, but that's the guy everyone thinks is hilarious. Because <laughs> the, the version that's in the work print, he is much more sinister. Oh, there is so something like- good. He, He's yeah. great. No, don't so get me wrong, good. but he it is- wasn't, wasn't No, it's, 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 it's scary. Yeah. Like walked into a Del Palma movie. What'd you say, Steph? It's like he walks into a De Palma movie for a little bit. Totally. Oh my God, you totally nailed it. It really <laughs> is like it's all of a sudden it's like Brian De Palma showed up and just went like, fuck it, just get nihilistic, you know. And and while you're doing it, have a you know, have a, a fifth of vodka <laughs> and just like chill. Because a lot some of that stuff is there, but there's something about how it almost sounded like he like had more chuckles like he was enjoying himself more during the process of it yeah uh of of, of burying you know uh ted danson and and i can't remember the actress's name becky um it was there was a maniacal glee that was involved in it and there was it felt much more um what's the word uh calcul- calculated well yeah like he it just it felt like there was much there was a much more sinister point to his you know, his, his master plan that, uh, that made him much more evil. And whether that was taken down for time or if anything, it was taken down because it's like, it's everyone's favorite old fart, you know, like we, we can't have him that evil. Um, but it really does change the, um, the revenge story essentially. Like by the time we get to it, I've never wanted to see Leslie Nielsen dead more than maybe Spy Hard than in this episode, like this episode of Creed Show. Like it was like just old old hair. motherfuckers gotta go. You gotta go. You know, like Creepy. that was some sadistic shit. Creepy Leslie Nielsen's an entire kink though. In in the uh the fifth season of Columbo, there's this great episode that guest stars uh Leslie Nielsen and Patrick McGuhan. And Leslie Nielsen's actually the uh the, the victim in that open, you know how they, they do the opening act where the, mm-hmm. the person gets killed. You see the whole thing, right? And then Columbo unravels it. But Leslie Nielsen is this uh, 
really mysterious double agent that comes back from a, a trip in Costa Rica where Patrick McGuhan thought he was dead and he's come to to blackmail him and he looks so fucking sexy. He's got like he's got like a polyester shirt unbuttoned, his hair all slicked back, gold medallions. And uh Patrick McGuhan, like he he gets one up on Leslie Nielsen and gets him killed. But then you're like sexy leslie nielsen and that's all i remember really <laughs> even even when when leslie's like in the mirror he's going like ah, ooh, boop, doo, bop, boop, and he's taking off his medallion and everything i'm like damn like i wouldn't be surprised if he's like sorry fellas i i gotta we gotta wrap it up i gotta go to studio 54 do some you know coke off a stripper's ass <laughs> like and i would have totally believed it told like he's, well, he doesn't he fight animals with a shirtless and they have the animals through most of the movie as well, he doesn't have a shirt on through that throughout that movie. Correct? I haven't seen it in a while, but that's the one. That's the one thing that stuck out to me is Leslie Lurst and the Nielsen was shirtless. Is there a longer cut of that movie with the shirtless scenes? <laughs> I've yes. never heard of one, but we could probably you know try to track it down. Get on Re- it. Release the Please. release the Nielsen chest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. In, in in those are the two, and then also um, not that there's so much added. Uh, or, or taken out, but the, the final segment is restructured, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which I, I find this one a little bit more uh, somewhat effective because, uh, again, you want him to die more because you realize how much of an asshole he is. That's, a, that's um, the, the, the bugs, right? They're creeping. On yeah, you. yeah. Yeah. The yeah. widow call comes earlier. So we really get an idea of the brunt of the damage earlier in the story. Yeah, I, I agree. That's interesting that they moved it back the way they did. Yeah. And that's it, the one thing in, I, I think the whole, the, you know, those three segments alone, there's a lot going on in creep show to kind of uh, carry these characters, hate the characters more um, and kind of uh, want to see people die uh, it's just odd that it was cut because it's there's nothing in the film that is needless or something where you could say, oh, you know, may, maybe the meteor one because he goes to the loan office and there's a couple extra scenes here and there. That's fine. But, you know, three of the segments are, I think, a lot better. Uh, and they I agree. Could, they could have yeah. used those long, longer cuts. Yeah, the three. Plus, have I them. mean, there's nothing better than hearing E.G. Marshall say bastard about 12 <laughs> more times. <laughs> in this version than before. Cause I don't remember him saying bastard that many times. So I don't know if there was a bastard quotient that Laurel had, you yeah. know, it's like, I'm sorry guys. Like he said it 24 times. We can't have him say it more, but you're right. Like it's his, his intentions. Cause again, creep show has now established itself as a formula. There are things that characters have to do and certain comeuppances that they have to, um, you know, be part of that make it feel like Creepshow. Creepshow has now, like between, you know, two movies, we don't talk about the third, and now, I mean, all almost into three seasons of the show, um, and having read the other scripts too, you know, like, like whenever anyone says, um, oh, it's very Twilight Zone-esque, you know what that means when, when someone says that. There is a formula that Serling created, whether it's, you know, the asides in the beginning, the bookends, but also just how the characters traverse through the world and you know, like what, what the cause and effect is. Creepshow has that too. And what's interesting about this work print is that it was even more reinforced in that earlier cut. That doesn't get really get lost 
in the in the version that we've seen a million times. Because you're right, Brad. Like um, in um, the Jordy Verrill episode, yeah, there's the lone uh, there's the lone moment which you'd, again you can sit there and go, you didn't need it. You know, all you needed to do is show him go to the bank, and there's the the plus side of having the meteor, and then. When he realizes he's got meteor shit and he's got the boils on his finger, and then when the 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 doctor, the same guy comes out and he's the doctor now, that cause and effect makes sense. You don't really need the lone guy, but the, but what's interesting too is that there was that one shot that was a, so, like a total creep show shot, which is now again part of the formula where you have your actors and they have a scrim behind them, or now on the on the show we use green screen. But you have a scrim that changes color that makes it feel like it's a comic panel. And there was a really interesting one with Stephen King where it was like all the tendrils and the vines and stuff like that. I mm. thought that was awesome. Like I like, and it made in a weird sort of way, it put me in Jordy Verrill's head a little more. Like that was if there was anything that I wish was retained from the directors, like from the work print, it was that one moment. Mm. Um, because they're, they're like I look as as much of a lunkhead Jordy Verrill is, he's a lovable loser. And you like, you feel, I mean, I still, I remember even as a kid feeling so bad for him where he's like, please, please just this once. And it's got that typical creep show sound because it's the same exact sound effect that the dad from father's day was like, what my kick. I can't do it. Um, it's pretty good. Also, did, pretty you guys, good did you guys notice? And, and this is something that I can appreciate having now um, loved uh, Italian spaghetti westerns and, and giallo films that uh, they use the same gunshot effect uh, that pew, that I used to use as my text yeah. messages. Like it's those little things that I can really appreciate because they don't use them in a uh, in Day of the, or I'm sorry, Dawn of the Dead. You know, there's plenty of gunshots going off in Dawn of the Dead, but it's it's that one effect that uh, that they keep using over and over again. Yes, uh, that made me go, oh, yeah. Romero's a Corbucci fan, big time. <laughs> yeah, it's in the vault. It's in that the 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 sound vault that they can pull from, I guess. You know, yeah. <laughs> depending on the budget. Well, maybe. I love the soundtrack. <laughs> And the sound effects, because it's kind of like a Don Martin comic book come to life a lot of the time. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, John Harrison, who uh, who did the score for that. Um, I can't remember. I think it was La La Land Records put out the soundtrack a couple years ago. And uh, it's interesting because I don't think it was really available. I remember there was a bootleg of it around for years. Um, but it, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Stephanie, because uh, there was also, I don't know if you noticed this, guys, but there was a couple cues that were different, too. Um, very subtle, you know, there, but there was just a couple little moments here, here and there that just felt like the cues were augmented slightly or maybe it was even the mix. Um, but what John Harrison did with that movie, just with that very subtle piano, it, it created a, like an, a weird melancholia. Uh, to to the to the stories where it almost makes them sad, um, and, and there's of, of course there's something very ominous about the the just very simple pianos that they use. Uh, but yeah, that that soundtrack is so good; it works so well. I wish that they had used the same score or variants of that score in Creepshow Two. Um, it's 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 not nearly as good in Creepshow Two as it is in One. Creepshow one score is a character, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because uh, again, you know, I guess weird might be the wrong thing to say here, but most Romero movies are padded. He does have these stories, but not padded in a bad way. It's just that he's really good at constructing these grand stories, even though this is multiple stories into one movie. Um, you know, sitting down and watching a Romero movie, you just get so much. And 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 watching the work print now, it, it feels that like I don't want to see what was released anymore. That's kind of how it is. Um, and and when that does happen with with work prints and also you know director's cuts if they're if they're unavailable um you know it, it's it, it changes the whole experience for you and yeah they're, they're really small changes in a way but they add so much um that it's kind of mind-boggling that he was of course Romero was forced to do this is that even though it's 10 minutes there, there's a lot of cool shit in there um that is that is taken away like we've already said and 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 you you kind of hinted at this, Joe, and to piggyback off what you said, it's just when these stories are told, um, we do react quicker. And when I originally watched the Ted Danson Nielsen one, it even it's like, what did Ted Danson do? That's the whole thing. Like it's like, what's going? Like is he wrong? Is he right? Watching this, it's like fuck leslie nielsen <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like you really really want to see him like you know that something's gonna happen this actually isn't it you know something's gonna and and, and the the sense of like impending doom hits so much quicker in it uh than it does because you don't really get the sense of that you know this this sense of dread that is happening in 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 that segment in the version that we all know, it doesn't hit until a little bit later uh, after like Ted Danson's drowned and, you know, Leslie Nielsen's like going to bed or whatever, or whatever it may be. It hits like when Ted Danson's still being buried because there's that scene, like, you know, he says, get in the hole. And then I believe I haven't seen either version in a very long time. So correct me if I'm wrong. So in, in that they have the hole and then the next sequence, he's like patting the dirt around his head. Yeah. It, and then it cuts in very quickly print, from him outside to inside. You have yeah, that right. interstitial moment that is it's dread inducing. Yeah. And it's just like, it just happens and it's in its cut to where now it obviously feels like something was missing, but it, it just, it felt like an odd transition. And now you have the thing where he's, you know, he's, like chest deep and he's fucking throwing the dirt at him. And he says, I'm not going to be able to breathe. And he's like, mm-hmm. well, you'll have a hard time. Well, breathing's going to be difficult. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, don't and worry. He you'll keep throwing the dirt. And it's like, man, this guy's really going to get his fucking, you know, come up. And he's, he's going to, he's going to, something's going to happen to this dude. And it needs to happen soon. And, yeah, and that's by, where, by elongating, by elongating the process, it made it scarier. You know, even yeah. when later on, when he goes back to his apartment, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but it felt like there was a lot more shots of him watching the screens. And every time Becky was hit with another wave or Ted was hit with another wave, like I remember there being a few of them in the original cut or like the theatrical cut. Yeah. But this just felt like 
holy shit, he's just dragging it out. And yeah. it, every time you're, and I, again, I, I think I, I got to go back to the original. Give me an excuse to go back and watch Creepshow again, guys. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, but was it, was there, was there a shot in the theatrical cut too? where it just showed Becky like underwater. I mean, you just see like a, like a shot looking down at like just water. You can't really see her head, but just seeing like the water has now risen above her head. Oh, my oh you God, say where you can see fucking... the hair. Yeah. I, I don't remember that either. And then yeah. also, that was heartbreaking. I, I, like I said, I haven't seen either version in, in, in quite some time, but in, in the work print, I know it's in the work print, but I can't remember it being in the theatrical version is that Leslie Nielsen looks at the televisions and he says, it's showtime. Yeah, hey, it's showtime. He's all excited. Is that in, He's making his is that in the theatrical and... version? Nope. No, it's in the work print. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's fucking scary. Yeah, and yeah. he's way like, more he's fetishistic like ready, about you know? the technology, but he, too. But he's like, he like gets really amped up. It's not like he's just taking a bite of candy or something that says it's showtime, guys. No, he's I like, whoa, like yeah. that. And I'm like, cheat, like, and that that's what it is it's that segment works so much better and, and you're right it's just he's so fucking sadistic and yeah. and, 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 it, and it, it does make it scarier because we also get a sense that you know no one wants to be buried alive and we're getting we're seeing that kind of happen with Ted Danson even though his head's not under but the water's going to be coming is that he's really like he says I am scared you know, that's one of the lines I remember him saying in the work print. Again, I don't know if it's in theatrical, but he says, I'm actually, like, he says, I'm scared. And it, he it, says, it gets, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking, I'm fucking terrified. And so, like, you know, we have Creep Show where it opens up with, you know, as we know now, watching this and, you know, the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years, Tom Atkins, it opens up with the comic book. You know, it has the animated sequence. You know, it has, you know, the, you know, the cake thing. And we're kind of having a good time. Um, you know, in the Jordy Jordy Barrel thing, it's kind of cute and comical and we feel bad for him. And then it just gets dark in this work print. Maybe that's why they cut it. Yeah. Because that's the only thing I can think about is that we're having somewhat fun, you know, these scary stories, fun, fun. And then it just kind of gets mean. And maybe right. that's and, and to Joe's maybe point, that's it gets why. mean in the it gets mean in the segment with the famous now famous comedy star. Yeah, I mean, just to go back, like to it's it's one of those situations yeah. where I like the the more fun the bad guy is having, sometimes that like throws people off. You know, like I I keep thinking about um, you know Henry Portrait, a serial killer, and remembering like what John McNaughton was talking about when. When they got the X rating, um, he was talking about how it, it, it was tone. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't really the images that were on the screen. It was the tone of you have Henry and Otis watching that horrible video like they're watching football, mm -hmm. that they're treating it like entertainment. And that kind of tonal shift that it can be considered mean and sinister can sometimes turn an audience off. You know, um, especially one that's, uh, you know, that's vying for commercial commercial, you know, ability and something like Creepshow, which was probably, you know, up until that point, their biggest stab at something commercial after, you know, Knight Riders did not go so well, you know, and, and Dawn of the Dead was a cult hit. You know, you can feel 
like Romero and, and gang are swinging for the fences. Like they want to make something that's big and bright and bold and fun. And I'm sure that was probably a note where it's like, and guess what? Yeah. Things that just stopped being fun at that moment. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and if you have to do it for the greater good, the greater good, you know, it's an omission that might have, if you think about it, maybe there is a world where if they left it in, the audience might have turned on it, or if they had done another test screening and it got bad test scores, and then you know Warner Brothers who put it out might have put less into the marketing because of those low scores. It's a domino effect. Yeah. So yeah. you know, in you know, in a way, it was the the kind of sacrificial lamb that didn't really hurt the movie. But in retrospect, we can watch it now retroactively and go, "Oh, I totally get what they were going for." You know, I mean, look at one of the most famous director director's cuts of all time. Look at Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, they they seriously fucked with that movie to make also it as commercial as possible. Year. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, wow, yeah. wait a second. I'm starting to sense a pattern here. <laughs> Goddamn Warner Brothers, uh, or was it the Lab Company? Who knows? But you know, yeah. those those are the sort of sacrificial lambs that we as filmmakers have to sometimes adhere to or or go for because. You know, like if you completely lose an audience like that, especially something that is as commercial as a product as what they were going for, um, you know, it, it could have the domino effect where your film doesn't get seen or doesn't get the support that it needs. Now, that's a balance, too, you know, yeah. because you don't want to just completely sell out and go like, yeah, cut it all out. You know what? Why don't we just do it all animated? Why not? <laughs> like, let's go for the kids. And, and then and then we'll be, you know, watching the assembly of what was really creep show which was the actual live action version and go oh that's what they were going for oh okay so you know it's checks and balances you know i yeah i appreciate seeing all that stuff but at the same time i don't think um i don't know like like brad you were saying before it's like it's hard to see the theatrical version um on two levels i can appreciate the deliciously high def version that's that uh, <laughs> shout factory and scream factory put out makes me appreciate that version so much more. Um, but, you know, I, I made a, an anthology a couple of years ago called Chillerama, and we ran into a major issue with that one in terms of time um, because that movie ended up being like two hours and seven minutes long. And I like it was even used as an example um, where, you know, anthologies, you, you have to be very careful with the time because you could, you have every, every time that the, segment reboots right like every time that a new vert like a, a new segment introduces itself that's you know both uh, a good thing and a bad thing a good thing is is that like if you didn't like the last one well guess what here's another one that could be from like completely fresh and grab your attention you know get you excited or not excited but on the flip side you can completely lose an audience too um, I remember when uh, reading about Twilight Zone, the movie, and how they were having some real structure problems trying to figure out which version goes where. And, you know, I'm shocked that they even put the Landis one first because it's like, oh, great. Vic Morrow dies right in the beginning of the film. Wait, did they awesome. have problems on that movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't say. Um, but that's that's something where, you know, you have to be almost like a like a. Yeah, exactly. Um, you almost have to be a DJ and you have to know the audience well enough to know like, okay, here's our kicker. Here's our 
slightly more saccharine, serious one. But if you're going to have that one, you got to have something that's going to follow it up. That's going to either bring the audience back or keep them. Mm. And, you know, when you like when you look back and go, God, Creepshow was two hours long originally as a kid. I don't remember that because the thing moves so fucking fast. You know, they get a lot of mileage out of the pacing of of Creepshow, the original Creepshow. I th- yeah. I personally think that that one moves faster than Creepshow two, and Creepshow two is shorter. Mm. So you know it, it's it's a tough thing to as a filmmaker. You never want to you know kill your babies so to speak, but at the same time, if it's for the greater good and you're going to be able to keep audiences' attention all the more, I'm sure that theater owners at the time when that movie was playing were were going like wait two hours and ten minutes for this. That means I can only I can show it like I can only show it one time less and right less yeah. less you and know plus, less revenue you know, be, for them yeah being being a horror film too like a two hour and ten minute horror film back then that was I imagine what they yeah were this, this isn't Warren time, this isn't you know? Warren Beatty's Reds you know there is red in the movie but yeah. this is not Warren Beatty's Reds where you can go oh it's a prestige film we can let it go for three hours or make it feel like that too. Sorry, not a big Reds fan. <laughs> so, you know, with with these films and with, you know, filmmakers, I mean, filmmaking, a, direct, a director is a very, it's a very collaborative position. You're kind of, you know, you're herding cats, so to speak, right? You're kind of bringing things together. You're trying and dogs. To, there's there's a dogs, few dogs in there too. Uh, but you're trying to please like so many people and, and like, you know, uh, I couldn't imagine like trying to please that many people for one project. You, you're a director, you have a vision, there's a script you know, you worked with the script writer or you got the script, but then it's not as simple as just shooting the script. There's also everything else, you know, you have to, to keep in mind. And, and you make a good point. I've never really thought about that with anthology films because it makes so much sense that you're kind of riding the audience wave of keeping them engaged more so in an anthology because you're bringing in all these smaller pieces. Um, I mean, we know your story with, you know, with Knights of Bad Astom, but I mean, is there, as a director and, and you working on in your films and working on, you know, the TV series, uh, Creepshow and things, like how has your perspective changed through, I guess, your career so far, hence, you know, from Knights of Bad Astom on? Do you, have you become more collaborative? Do you kind of see the writing on the wall a little better? Like, how has that, you know, built you up as a director? Well, I, I it's a very good question, Sean. Um, honestly, it, it actually, it goes back to Wrong Turn 2. Um, that was my first movie that I had done, which I still cannot fucking believe that that movie is owned by Disney now. It <laughs> blows my mind. I, I am shocked, appalled, and also thrilled that someone in the Disney vault is going like, we made that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, when when I made that movie, I went in thinking that it was because it was a Fox movie. And I think at the time that I was reading a book about Fincher's experience on alien three. So I was already terrified of like, how is this process going to work? Because, you know, this was at the time when um, direct to video was, you know, it was still kind of a dumping ground, but it was also around the time that you could slap unrated on fucking anything and they will sell it for units. Dude, the Sandlot three unrated yeah. shit sells units. The same so, dude made all the Sandlot movies, though. In his defense, David um, <laughs> Mickey something Mitchell something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, d- sadly, diminishing results. 
or or like Mike Seven, you know, like like <laughs> Mike Seven, unrated. You know, Dude, there was Jonathan a time where that was for a comeback. Mm, yeah. <laughs> sure. Come we'll, we'll come. Haley Joel Osment I, can. I can try. I can try. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Haley Joel Osment can get a comeback, then Lip Nikki can too. But the thing is that this time he would have to actually like sever an 11 pound head. That's true. That's true. Like the, that, that's, that's where he can sever his ties with his past and say, fuck you, Cameron Crow. I'm yeah. reinventing myself. He should cut um, off his own eyelids like a fish. Oof. Remember he said Remember that scene and have no eyelids. My neighbor has oh, two God, and he's... <laughs> You know anyway. way too much about that. <laughs> um but you know, like with wrong turn two, I, I I thought it was gonna be a real cook like lots of cooks in the kitchen. And you know, when when an executive takes you into their office, this doesn't get gross. Well, not really, <laughs> but like it doesn't get gross like you think. Uh, but my last meeting was with the head of Fox, and he specifically said Look, I could spray diarrhea into a DVD box and put it on the shelf at Blockbuster. And based on the title, wrong turn, it will sell units. So I do not give a shit what you do. Just make sure that you come in on time and on budget. And shockingly, they, who would have thought, but shockingly, I had a lot of creative freedom on that purely because I was able to follow the rules, the, the financial rules. Right, right. Make sure you make your days and make sure you're on budget and that's it. Like I had a moment, um, I don't know if you guys ever saw it, but there's a scene in the movie where uh, Erica Learson is, uh, she's abducted by the, the hillbilly mutants. And um, they were trying to, we were trying to figure out some way to um, uh, contain her. And I thought, well, what's the worst thing that you can do to a vegan? Make them feel like an animal. So I like, and we had this animal pen in the act in the set. So, um, but it wasn't in the script that we were going to actually put her in the animal pen. Uh, so I, like, I wanted to make sure I wanted to play ball. So I called up the, the same exec and said, Hey, listen, I just wanted to pitch something to you. All right, kid, go for it. Um, <laughs> so what, uh, you know, what if like, like, hear me out here, hear me out. What if the vegan gets put into an animal cell and we feed her entrails. Like that's the worst thing that can happen. That's ultimate torture. What do you think? <laughs> Pause. Can you make your day? Yeah. And what the fuck are you talking to me for? That's fine. <laughs> Fucking shoot it. If anything, great. we'll put it on the special features as a deleted scene. But so it, it was just a, ma a matter of communicating with the, um, with the, you know, with the, with the parents basically to make sure that they were, you know, aware of everything. Um, I walked into nights of bad Aston, uh, to be fair, I did actually buy a shirt that said sophomore slump. This is my <laughs> second film. So I was, I, I probably cursed myself. Um, but I went in with the, the hubris of, I, you know, the, the buck stops here. And I very quickly found out that that was not true. Um, that there was a lot more cooks in the kitchen, especially on something that was indie filmmaking. Uh, it, it's just a different, it's a different beast. Mm. So, you know, to, to kind of answer your question, Sean, like I've, I've actually learned more from indie filmmaking in terms of how collaborative you can be with, you know, with your collaborators. I mean, I still think that the best credit of all time, that is a perfect encapsulation of what the process is like is uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I guarantee no one ever thought that, that someone would reference this movie on the screencast, but I can because it starts out, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it says a film by 
a lot of people. Yeah. Because that's what movies are. Like yeah. you cannot make a film in a bubble. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, it's it's incredibly important to make sure that, you know, when you're stepping on a set that everyone is literally on the same page. So, you know, being able to collaborate, that's why um, pre-production is honestly the most important part of the process mm -hmm. because that's where you get to work out all the kinks, hopefully work out all the issues that come up beforehand because once you step on that set, time is money. And yeah. if you don't get what you need, there's many situations that I've been in where it's like, we're leaving this location tomorrow, like tonight. So if you don't get this, we're not coming back. Um, gone are the days where you would hear, you know, uh, you know, uh, Peter Bogdanovich on paper moon going like, Oh yeah, we're 17 days behind, but what are you gonna do? You know, <laughs> those are gone. But like that does not have, that does not happen anymore. The business model is so strict and so tight right now that, you know, I think that's kind of what separates you know, the adults from the children in a way is figuring out a way to be able to be as collaborative and open as possible with every single department so that when you step on set, everyone knows what, what, what is needed to get. Now that said, it, it never works out that way. And you'll step on set and you find out that an actor slept in or it starts to rain or the cat just won't fucking meow. <laughs> and these are the things that will determine whether or not you make your days or not, you know? And, and, and really, it, it really does come down to the cat didn't meow. We spent an extra 10 minutes on that fucking cat. And now I can't get that final angle that I really know and knew I needed, you know? So it, it really is like, you have to be honest and open in that collaborative process because if you don't, you're screwed. So you know, the, thankfully, um, you know, Wrong Turn 2 gave me the ability to say, like, holy shit, I can do it. And then Knights of Badass just knocked me the fuck down a couple pegs, which which I'm glad it did. Because going into um, uh, the the movie I did after that, which was uh, Everly, which is the Salma Hayek movie I, I did, like, I can watch that movie again. And that movie is fucking mean. That is an angry fucking movie. But that's also, I don't know if you guys know the story about that, but it's a movie about a person who's stuck in a room and they have to basically shoot their way out of a room. Mm -hmm. That was me. I was stuck in that room or I was stuck in this trap of, you know, of, of failure from Knights of Bad Aston. And I needed to find out whatever way possible I needed to break out of that, that, that lull, that, you know, that bullshit. Yeah. Or even just help that character get the fuck out of there. So, you know, it's unfortunately it's it's the sort of situation where you um, you're learning on the job. Uh, you can't it's the sort of thing that you can't learn in film school. You don't you, you know, you can't learn until you're actually on the set as the director or the producer where all the heat's on you mm -hmm. and you got it. You got to figure out a way to make it work. You know? Yeah. Well, I think all the best creatives, I think are all learning on the job. And, you know, if you didn't have these moments where you fall flat on your face, you know, no matter what, you know, no matter who's watching, it's like you, you know, the, what separates, you know, the men from the boys or the, the kids from the adults is getting up and fucking like moving on and still creating and not letting something like that define you as an artist or define you as a creative, like you can move on. And you've taken, you know, the story from Knights of Bad Astem and really like, 
turn it into like a learning, you know, a learning opportunity for lack of a better term. That's all I can think of right now. But, um, and it's something that I think other people can learn from. This is something that I, you know, I read an article or heard you talking about, about it and, and it helped me in a time that I was feeling like, fuck, what am I doing? I'm having a hard time, um, you know, uh, do this project. And then you read these stories about other filmmakers and other creatives that you respect. Oh, well, they, they learn stuff, you know, the same way. So, you know what, let me just dust myself off and move on. And that's, I think that's huge with any creative. Okay. So to bring it full circle in a way, um, part of the reason why uh, I am involved even in the smallest form uh, on the Beastmaster Blu-ray is because uh, thankfully um, I had a conversation on the Movie Crip podcast with uh, one Don Coscarelli. Now, Don Coscarelli, do I need to say more? He's a god. <laughs> um, he's also the guy that made Beastmaster. Hey, Beastmaster's on. You know, like he he was he was a childhood hero. And when you hear stories about your heroes going through the same woes as you do, it really puts things into perspective. Yeah. Like I when um, when Don came on the show uh, and and talked about his trials and tribulations on Beastmaster. I didn't know any of that shit. Mm -hmm. I just watched it for the fucking ferrets. I was watching it for <laughs> Rip Torn. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see the seams as a kid. And even today, like I, I'm so accepting on that movie. Like yeah. even the, like any weird jump cuts or anything that like you know, he would say, like oh, I don't know what that scene, you know, or there's like moments that are completely out of focus and shit, like. You just accept it as moviegoers because once you're done with the movie, it's not yours anymore. Yeah. It's the audience's. And that's, you know, but that's a hard lesson to learn, you know, and you have to, you know, not to, not to mythologize being a filmmaker, but it really is a journey of an artist. You know, like, honestly, I, I would never have made mayhem if I didn't go through the hell of being kicked in the balls after nights of bad Aston and being put into like, I mean, I went into at least $22,000 worth of debt be between Knights of Bad Aston and starting up with Everly, where Everly, which was something I wrote while I was doing Knights of Bad Aston, so I was getting all that aggression out. <laughs> and then, um, and then we were, uh, then it got on the blacklist, which was awesome. And then Kate Hudson wanted to be in it because she, I want to be in an action movie like Dad. And you're like, oh, Dad's <laughs> Nick Wiskin, that's cool. All right, you're in. And then she's like, and then she got cold feet and then she ended up doing fucking glee, but we were told we were shooting. So I quit my job at G4 and I was ready to go. So I started putting money on my credit card going, oh. I'm going to pay all this back. I'm, I got this fucking, you know, I got this, this great fee that's already been set up. I'll be able to, nope, it fell apart. And then we ended up going with Salma Hayek almost out of desperation, but she loved the script so much. So it was like, okay, we can pivot this, but all of that. Essentially, when, when Everly was done, I was in such financial woes and I was in such creative woes too, just because I, like, again, angry filmmaker from that experience <laughs> that I had to go back and get a day job. I had to do a corporate gig and I had to work at, um, you know, NBC Universal and Esquire doing commercials. And it was a fucking nightmare. It was just, it was soul sucking, but I had to pay the bills, had to feed the family. And if it wasn't for that kind of a, um, Ah, that, that, that kind of desperation that I had at that time where I was just like, oh my God, my, my career is over. And then mayhem shows up. That, that script felt like it was written for me. 
And if I didn't go through what I did with those past films, I wouldn't have made my most personal movie. You know, May Mayhem to me is literally the most personal thing I've ever done because all of that shit from the let's discusses, you know, to, you know, the way that people deal with like, you know, that's my coffee mug. <laughs> I've been there. So you can instill that kind of personal touch to it. If I didn't go through that, I don't think Mayhem would have would have been as resonant, you know, for people who've been in those shitty jobs before. Or I might not have even made it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Or Knights of Badass them would have been a fucking huge hit the way I wanted it to be. And <laughs> I could be doing Guardians of the Galaxy 4. <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> you know, you never know how the dominoes fall. You're the only person to ever say you went with Selma Hayek out of desperation, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> that has never been uttered before. <laughs> no, never. Not, not one bit. I mean, look, you know, she, she was... Uh, you know, she, yeah, she, she was, she was something else, but, uh, but Hey, you know what? She kills in the movie literally oh, and great, figuratively man. and yeah. people love her in the movie. So I can't, and I can't fault her, but it wasn't easy. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the reason, like the way that we wrote Everly was it was supposed to be the girl next door gone bad. Mm. And Kate Hudson Why? at the time was the girl next door. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that Sama was the girl next door, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, the girl next street. Um, but not the girl next door, but it, it, like when, look, when you are summoned to the Hayek compound yes. and she says, baby, I love the script. Uh, you can do ready. <laughs> this is verbatim. You can do whatever you want to my body. You go green light. Yeah. That's great, man. I tell you that, that, that's what I was thinking of that, that Beastmaster <laughs> segment. Like I had it on late at night on that the documentary in that segment i was having like the worst week and when you were talking about don coscarelli and things like that i was like i was like yes yes you know no it really in a weird way one look of those things, i've never like he's such a great story he's our hero like he's yeah. he's he's such a you know a bastion for you know for indie film he's created you know one of the the greatest horror franchises out there but and he, did, and he did it even in a studio sense and on his own terms but when you can watch your hero squirm, mm -hmm. it's a humbling fucking experience <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, Beastmaster, tell me everything about it. And he's like, mm. like my heart broke, but it also opened up my world to, to say, you know what, like it's I'm going to survive this because yeah. if that guy could survive Beastmaster and continue to make movies like, you know, like, like phantasm two and john dies at the end you know and and still retain his voice you know it's to me it's it's totally worth it yeah totally that's awesome yeah that uh i had i had a moment of heartbreak um over the past few years when i i got to speak to john carpenter and rick rosenthal about halloween two and they're both kind of like yeah <laughs> it exists I was like, I was like, it's out there. I was like, but, but you don't yeah, understand. If Halloween <laughs> didn't exist, Brad. If Halloween two didn't exist, we might not have Gotti. <laughs> oh, that shit. is very. Have you, ever, have you ever fucking connected those? Dots? <laughs> oh, I can. Are we going to become the Gotti cast, you guys? I could not. I could. I don't know if I could go on if you took Gotti out of like the cinematic out of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, I think you know every that Gotti, movie Gotti's become Gotti. Gotti's become one of those um, movies that, like, 
before the pandemic kind of shut down uh, tours, um, ask any metal band what movies they put on on the bus when they're going from, you know, Iowa to fucking Pennsylvania. And it's fucking gaudy. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. Like everybody loves to put, it used to be gaudy. Now it's the fanatic. Like, I don't know where, like there's this weird, like John Travolta thing. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, our, our, our chat. Yeah. Our chat with the the four of us that discuss (laughs) podcast stuff. Is the fanatic cast three thousand? That's what it's called. There, there's no nothing better than watching that movie with two other filmmakers, and we're all just mouths agape the entire time. Because I don't know if you guys remember this, but Fred Durst was supposed to direct um, uh, what is it, Lords of Dogtown? Yeah, mm-hmm. that Fincher yeah. was going to produce. And like I even mentioned this during the movie, and uh, and one of the guys we were watching it with was just like. When did that happen again? Like, who? What? Uh, and then we would just start doing like, if only we could fly, and you know, <laughs> singling biscuit songs. Um, but you know what? If there's anything to be said about that movie, both Devin Sawa, who's it's now becoming a, a Sawa re- renaissance now, mm-hmm. a Sawa sance. Um, Hunter Dunbar, Devin Sawa, continue. and uh, and fucking John Travolta are so committed in that fucking movie because. It, that could easily just fall into like parody, essentially. But they, I mean, by the time you get to the point when he's doing the stuff with the toothbrush and they are like, those two are fucking fully committed. It's insane. That movie is going, you know what? Give it four more years and it's going to be considered a fucking classic. Oh, absolutely. Mark my words. That oh, mark yeah. my words. Yeah. From, the, from the maid getting. Absolutely. From the maid getting her head knocked back to him going in the house and playing the piano with his fucking backpack on. <laughs> it's it's pure sinna insanity. And the only thing that I wish they would have not dropped, which I think would have just been nice in consistency, was the um those animated asides. I like like the, I really Borland. enjoyed those. Yeah. And then and then it just kind of wait, Wes Borland did those? Yeah, Wes Borland did those. Wow. No, no, that makes sense. That yeah. makes total sense. <laughs> We yeah. needed more of those. We needed more of that and less of like DJ Lethal cameos in the background or something. Little DJ Lethal. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> I, had, I had a question for you, Stephanie, because Brad gave the idea, or Brad was telling you when watching the the work print, to have the Blu-ray going and the work print going at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm. Oh, what a good I idea! I don't have time to set that up, but I wanted to hear your experience, Stephanie. Oh, yeah, I I did do it. I put my little laptop in front of my television. And um, I think I tweeted out those kind of like experiencing the history of home viewing at one time, because it's like, oh, like the work print, it's uh, maybe the worst quality I've ever seen where it's still technically watchable. Mm -hmm. And then just looking at the Blu-ray, it it was interesting. And uh yeah but i used the audio for the work print which worked pretty well actually okay well i mean so how how'd that work well at first i was just gonna play it straight but then um especially in the first in father's day uh the pauses got pretty big so i would just pause the blu-ray let the work print go and when they'd match up again like i I was listening to riff tracks when they first came out when you like had to do disembodio and like time it perfectly. So I'm pretty good at it actually. So yeah, no, it was fun. I would recommend doing it. If you need an excuse to watch it again. 
do the comparison. And Riff the Tracks first uh, track was Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> all the way back around. That's incredible. We could all play this game. <laughs> mm. I can't talk much longer. I got to poo. I'll be right back. <laughs> You're going to come back, right? <laughs> well, we could we could talk know. about we could we could talk about. Uh, I mean, I, I think we pretty much summed up. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was, tra I was trying to stuff. circle back around and be like, well, you know. <laughs> well, the the I think the biggest disappointment was there's some Adrian Barbeau insults they cut out. Oh. That seems kind of criminal. You shouldn't. Do oh wait, did she, did she didn't she say cunt? My part of my French, but didn't she say <laughs> cunt instead of crotch? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the uh, yeah, you know friendly. that that's where that's where you go from bomb to buffo box office right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, think this is, I think with Mike introducing uh, his uh, need to poop. Uh, no, that's a line from the fanatic. That's the oh, first. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought I you really need, need to poop. poop. I was say, look, man, if you got Sean, to poop, Sean's just up. looking for an excuse to leave. I'm just looking at the time. I'm making sure you know. Trying to keep it. We gotta even time. talk about what we've watched. Okay, well, let's do it, man. Let's do it, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> or Joe. Joe's Joe's the guest. He can go first. <laughs> oh man, like where do I start? Uh, <laughs> like, do I just roll off some? Like, I've watched a lot. Of what stuff. some of your uh, uh, some of your favorite some of your favorite watches? Let us have them. Okay. All right. In the past two months, <laughs> let's. I'm gonna go down my my list of the past two months in. Order from from back from Creepshow work print. Okay. Uh, I got to see the new uh, Tom Six movie, The Onania Club. Oh wow! <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I don't know if I can talk about it much, but <laughs> oh boy, it's uh, we just did a uh, we did an interview with Tom over the weekend, and uh, it's definitely one for the books. It's um, been they, he, they've wrapped up on that a while ago, right? Like three years it's, ago. It's yeah. It, it's looking for a distributor now. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Uh, it's uh, you know it it could use a little vinegar syndrome. Uh, just saying, um, but it's uh, it's an interesting movie. It, like that's all I can say with that. Uh, I, yeah. I'm very I'm very curious because I was at the first uh, one of the first screenings of um, uh, Human Centipede at Fright Fest, and you know like look when when someone tells you like darling the film of the festival is this film where someone gets their their assholes sewn to other people's mouths <laughs> you're like hmm this sounds interesting uh you know like it's an easy sell like that that you could tell from the poster you can tell from like the 100 percent medically accurate like they knew how to market the shit out of that movie no pun here <laughs> it, it's a it's a decidedly more uh complex kind of storyline um so yeah I, I would be interested to see what people think about that one uh so i'll i'll leave that for another discussion on the streamcast when you guys actually watch it um let's see yeah. uh ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains i don't know if you guys have ever seen that yeah, yeah, Adler, love that uh, I, I you know i i saw it um three years ago uh like because um in la there's a video store called cinephile which is one of the few uh video stores that's left and they're my gods. That's my church. And uh, and I can get movies like The Fabulous Stains. And um, I I, for, I love that movie. Um, it is definitely not a movie that could be made today, especially with 15-year-old leads like Diane Ladd and a 13-year-old um, 
what's her name, Laura Dern, mm-hmm. uh, and and a 22 year old Ray Winstone, who look like I would fuck the shit out of Ray Winstone, <laughs> like if he was he looked as gorgeous and as, as badass oh. as he. Oh no, I would take Ray Winstone over Salma now. <laughs> <any day. laughs> but uh, if you haven't seen that movie, it's it's amazing. It's got a very interesting ending, though. I don't know if you guys remember it. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but if you listen to the commentary, uh, listen to not don't listen to the Lou Adler commentary because it's just ba- basically you just listen to him sleep. Um, but the Diane Lane and um, Laura Dern commentary is fucking amazing. Boy, do they have a lot to talk about. Uh, but they they mentioned that that ending, the one where it's kind of like uh, all of a sudden they're on MTV. It was shot almost two years later hmm. because of the whole MTV craze. They did a screening of it and it did very poorly. And then they ended up doing you know, a reshoot that was essentially like just putting the, the stains on MTV in a Go-Go's like music video. It was shot almost two years later and they look so much older. I never noticed that before. I thought that was really cool. Um, let's see. Uh, Elaine May's A New Leaf. I've never seen that movie before. Holy shit. Is what that is movie it? funny? Uh, a New Leaf. It's on a Criterion Channel right now. It's Elaine May's... Um, no, it's not her directorial debut, I don't think. But uh, I think Walter Malthow. I think it might. I think it's that Heartbreak Kid is her second one. So Th- You're right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, a new leaf uh, with Walter Matthau and Elaine May, it's amazing. I'm used to the Walter Matthau. That's like the curmudgeon-y old man, like in um, uh, old man. Like Bad News Bad Bears, or yeah. you know, obviously Grumpy Old Men, or even Taking the Pelham One Two Three. Um, here he plays like an aristocrat, and it's weird. It's really weird. It's it's like you know, it's like putting Tom Green in a tux. You're just like something's off here, something's amiss. Uh, but it, it's re- if you get a chance, definitely check that out. Um, I did a Joe D'Amato double feature uh, over the weekend with uh, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals and Porno <laughs> Holocaust, which unfortunately is not on Letterboxd. I was a little dismayed to not be able oh. to find that entry. Um, so, and anyone from Letterboxd, you need to put Porno Holocaust on there because uh, Joe D'Amato deserves the respect. Um, let's see, Legend of Billie Jean. I, re- I rewatched. Yes. Um, so good. Love that movie. Uh, another DVD that is hard to get, but the commentary is totally worth it. Listening to Helen Slater and um, and uh, oh god, um, what's her name from uh, The Simpsons? Um, crap, oh, Lisa Simpson. Bailey. You know, no, God, <laughs> not, that's Smith, e- no. Right? Yes, Yearly yeah. Smith. Uh, no, E.G. Daily, different. <laughs> Different, uh, you know, 80s icon turned animation voiceover star. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah I love made. that movie. Yeah. Uh, one movie that I uh, got, I watched again recently, I would be very curious what the boxes on the screen are going to react to when I mention this movie. <laughs> um, because it's a, it's a film that when it came out um, was very controversial, or at least it tried to stir up as much controversy as possible thanks to Roger Ebert. Um, it's David the Demon DeFalco's Chaos. <laughs> That's the reaction That's I wanted. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, oh shit. shit. Homicide, suicide, car crashes. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, like I, the, what's funny is that that's the first film shot by Brandon Trost, who is now one of the, the hardest working DPs in, in yeah. like, the industry. He, right does, now. he, does, he does all so the Seth work, Rogen man. movies. Yeah. He works a lot. 
Um, and he's, and he does amazing work. Like he's, he's up there with like some of the best studio working DPs. He's just, he's awesome. We had him on the show recently, but chaos was his first movie. And, uh, wow. Yeah, uh, it's a movie. Like, that's for sure. It's, never, it's a movie. I've never seen what's, it. What's, I just looked it up. Look, I've never seen it. It's a t- there's a it takes a lot for me to be grossed out. Uh, the first time I saw this movie, I specifically remember finishing the film and going upstairs and taking the hottest shower <laughs> I could possibly take for about at, like I took a Silkwood shower. Basically, I'm scrubbing my fucking skin. Uh, so much so that like I actually watched Silkwood after it as a as a buffer to, oh, to kind of, uh, watch something light. Um, but look, it, it, it's you know I don't know if you guys remember Kevin Gage. He was Wayne Grow in uh, yeah. Heat. Um, here's a fun story. Oh, God, I shouldn't be telling this, but fuck it, it's screencast. <laughs> um, so I was when I, I was working at G four. Please know it's listening. I was working at G four as um <laughs> oh stop it uh i'm listening back going why did i tell the story so um i was uh i was in i was working at g4 as a dp at the time this was uh after i believe after chaos had come out and uh i went to rob hall's uh the the, the effects artist uh we went to his effects studio because he was working on i think it was terminator the uh sarah connor chronicles at the time and we did an interview with him or whatever. And I remember putting my, my camera bag down and I was changing batteries and I heard this voice and it's, it was a very familiar voice. And I look over and there's this dude sweeping up the lobby. And I'm like, is that, is that fucking, is that Ke- the guy from fucking heat? Is that chaos? It was Kevin Gage. And um, he like little known fact, he was busted for having, I believe now don't completely quote me on this. I'm sure that someone's like, I'm fact checking this now. (laughs) Um, I believe he was busted for having a pot plant in his apartment and his neighbor, like called the cops. They came in and found he had a a pot plant and threw him in jail. So he went to jail for that. And this was, you know, years before weed was legal in, in LA or in California. So because he was on probation, Rob Hall, who worked with him on a movie called Lightning Bug a couple of years earlier with Laura Prepon, um, they were friends. And he decided because when you're on parole, you have to get a job. And that's part, that's part of the parole process or like the, the yeah, part of the parole process. So uh, so Rob Hall hired him as basically a, a, like a odd jobs guy at his studio mm. so yeah i like i'm sitting there like going wait a second you're the guy that made me almost want to throw up and he's like oh thanks man you know it was <laughs> fucking weird um but yeah like the chaos is if if there's if anything else you can't say it's not effective and uh all, all i'm gonna say is um you know oh she used to have two holes now she's got one big hole <laughs> need i say more unfortunately it's a mean, fucking disgusting movie, but eh, sometimes you like to watch something light, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a dare, unfortunately. Uh, one movie. Uh, all right. Here's a couple more. Uh, Pillow Talk. I don't know if you guys have ever yeah, seen Pillow Talk. Love that movie. Um, two movies that I had never seen before, and I was shocked that I haven't. But I'm so glad that I did. Um, Pretty Maids All in a Row. Uh, Rock Hudson movie uh, that starts out as a ribald sex comedy and kind of turns into a serial killer thriller by the end. 
weird tone, weird movie. Loved it. Um, okay, I'm going to show my cards here. I cannot believe that I'm admitting this. I have never seen Possession before. Oh. Yeah. And oh my God, am I a richer person for finally having seen it? Oh. That is, I, you know what? I'm glad I watched it now. Yeah. Because yeah. if I had seen this as a kid, because, yeah. you know, I, I, of course, frequented video stores and I would always see the box. And it was one of those movies that like the guy in the uh, or the guy, or the girl that worked at the counter didn't recommend for one reason or another. So I just kind of veered away from it and went to another Friday the 13th movie or something. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad that I was able to watch it now um, because it's a masterpiece. Yeah. It's a like and then we got to watch the um, the director's cut. Uh, Cin- Cinephile has the European cut, which I believe is like 15 minutes longer or something. There's a there's a director's cut for you. Yeah. Um, but it's fucking amazing. I think honestly, it could be Sam Neill's best movie. That's so, I know, I know. So I like there, there are people out there who are going like, "What? Are you, no, how are you crazy?" That is a tour de force. I've never seen Sam Neill literally act his ass off. Yeah, um, Isabella Gianni is amazing too. Obviously, the subway scene is is a class. I had heard so like um, my uh, my editor on Mayhem really good friend josh ethier um would talk about it all the time and you know because he likes some really dark shit like i think he actually finds come and see as a uh, as a comedy <laughs> so uh so that that's how you know like that's this kind of guy that josh is um but he would talk about it a lot and i was always like god why haven't i seen this movie and it just wasn't available because it's not on streaming and i don't think anyone's has anyone put out a new version of possession uh, there's yeah. that blue uh, just the mondo uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, from from really overseas. Nice yeah, so like, so there's not like I'm shocked because um, you know that that movie accessible. is it, no, it's not. But at the same time, it's like one of the 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 best versions of a failing marriage yeah. um, that I've ever seen on film, but used as a parable for you know like using monsters and doing what Cronenberg really did so well before, um, you know, before he started doing like more serious work when he was using horror as a way to, you know, to create metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was just, holy shit. I was so blown away. Like I actually needed to watch like five episodes of impractical jokers after watching Possession <laughs> just to kind of clear my head a little bit. Um, so yeah, so possession, um, you guys just talked about the bad and the beautiful, by the way. Yeah. Um, never saw that movie before, and holy shit, what a romp that movie is! God, I love. Um, if there was anything that's come out of the pandemic, uh, a silver linings, if you will, is uh, my subscription to the Criterion Collection app uh, has really opened up my world to movies that I think maybe in in, in my uh, in my old age, now that I'm getting you know a little older, now that I'm seventy one. You know, because we always do that. We we always go like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to that movie. I'll, you know, I'll I'll get to the Magnificent Ambersons. I'll get to you know, um, you know, all these movies that everyone says are classics and everything. That oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll eventually watch that. Well, now is the time. And yeah. when we were all on the brink of disaster last year, when we're all like, we could be going tits up any minute, and it could be a boy <laughs> and his dog any moment. You know, like you might as well start watching Asphalt Jungle and getting all those movies that are considered classics that we keep putting off. Start watching them now. So movies like Bigger Than Life, 
I went through a whole Douglas Cirque phase for, for a couple months, which was amazing to do, or Nicholas Ray. Um, you know, all these movies that, again, we just kind of keep seeing on the shelf. And it's like that moment in, uh, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure where he's like trying to save all the animals in the pet store and he keeps like <laughs> passing the snakes and going like, Go, I'll get to you eventually. Yeah, I'll get to you soon. You know, now, now I got to actually re, like, re, re, either reintroduce myself to certain movies that I'd never, you know, had the desire to watch, or ones that were always on a list, but then kept going further down on my Netflix queue. You know, like more and more. So you know, movies like The Bad and the Beautiful, Bigger Than Life, um, Navajo Joe. Uh, never saw Navajo Joe before. Oh, I love Navajo Joe. Classic Navajo Joe, Navajo Joe. <laughs> like fucking Corbucci, man. Like that guy makes Zoom porn, basically. <laughs> like I've never seen so much Zoom porn in my fucking life. And I'm not talking about porn porn. I'm talking about like these gorgeous, like, like, and then snap zooms. Like he can do an entire scene where someone is coming over a hill and allow it to go from a master shot or a landscape shot to a master shot to a close up then to a medium and then going goes up to a guy that's like up on the hill that's going to take Burt Reynolds out at any moment now that said uh Burt Reynolds would never be able to like they would never be able to release that movie now i don't think because Burt's playing in you know an indian so to right, speak right, right. or native american shall, shall i say uh so like it probably cancel him uh posthumously he could just uh, change his name to Turd Ferguson or something, and then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I would have guy who showed up um, and dressed as I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also watched uh, Ombre because uh, I like for um, that certain show that I shouldn't have said that I was doing season three for. Um, uh, the one like I love to do. Um, I like to really take a lot of the language from other films and use them in a way to tell the story and. You know, for season two of Creepshow, you know, I have my uh, weird Euro trash episode and I have my weird like classic sci-fi episode for the other ones that we're doing. I have my Polanski episode and uh, and I have a spaghetti Western episode, so to speak. So to be able to watch movies like Ombre and Good, the Bad and the Ugly, um, actually, um, I, I watched uh, Fistful of Dynamite more because the camera angles. But uh, Navajo Joe, like Sergio Corbucci, just knows how to fucking shoot Westerns. And you watch it and you go, it's probably like the reason why he had that long zoom and went into that was because someone probably told him you have one shot to get seven setups. So you better figure out how to make this one shot be your master shot, your medium shot, your close up shot back to your like master and then reveal a dude up in the, the mountains ready to shoot, you know, shoot your hero. Um, that kind of necessity creates a style, you know, and, and I think a lot of those filmmakers from the, the Italian, uh, the spaghetti Western era didn't have a lot of time and didn't have a lot of money and they weren't fucking John Ford or Preston Sturges and be able to have the time and the money to do that. So they created their own style purely out of necessity. I love that. Um, did you guys see, uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not what a great yet. fucking movie. Why are people not? No, I'm not going to say anything, Sean, I swear. But watch <laughs> that movie because if if there was ever a, a werewolf movie that could be like almost a sequel to Silver Bullet, that's mm. the one. And not yeah. Silver Bullet so good, with the bad, the bad fucking werewolf. Like I'm talking about the Bernie Wrightson cycle of the werewolf 
like imagery that we saw from that old graphic novel oh, that we so wanted good. in Silver Bullet but couldn't yeah. get. Mm. Fucking Jim Cummings figured it out. That guy is really talented, um, oh, and I that, loved it. That artwork, um, man. And then we wrapped amazing. it up with, uh, oh my god, so good. That so poster is great. Oh. Um, and it, it really does. It it's graphically, it's a gorgeous looking movie, and he's really good in it too. Um, and then I'll I'll wrap things up with uh, I don't know if you guys saw Psycho Gorman, which is the greatest R-rated twelve-year-old movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, it's yeah. every it's every it's everything I wanted from a movie if I was twelve years old, and I, I can appreciate wait. it even more now. Um, I love that movie. Um, and then finally, uh, and I'm really proud about this. Um, I don't know if you guys are fans of Just One of the Guys, uh, the '80s sure. film Just One of the Guys. Yeah. Um, I was a huge fan of that back in the eighties. That was the first movie that I ever showed my grandmother uh, when she got HBO at her house um, because she was like, wait a second, you can watch boobies at 3 PM. I'm like, grandma, it's a PG 13 movie, you know? And, and those are two of the best boobies you can possibly get uh, in, in, in a, a PG 13 eighties film like that. And uh, so I was, um, I was working on a Netflix project uh, and I was at this post house that does a lot of um, does a lot of commentaries, does does a lot of uh, like audio stuff for Netflix and for DVDs. And one of the producers and I were like one of the guys there. Um, we were talking about how much we love just one of the guys. So I was like, why hasn't anyone put a special edition out on that? And why hasn't there been like a com like I want a commentary for that thing, man? I want to hear Joyce Heiser. I want to hear Clayton Rohner. I want to hear the whole cast get together. So the guy goes, "Hold on, let me make a phone call." Two weeks later, they're like, "We're doing the commentary." They got everybody: the <laughs> Joyce Heiser, Clayton Rohner, Tony Hudson. The the only two people they didn't get were uh, Buddy Billy uh, Billy Jane, and they didn't get the Zapka, which I was really disappointed about. But practically everyone else in that movie, they compiled together to do this commentary at the studio. And I was thrilled because I was like, if this happens, I have to moderate this shit because I have to be in that same room with that cast. Because that was, again, one, there was one of those movies that gave me this weird idealized version of what high school was going to be. Back when that movie came out, I was in like, maybe I think the fifth grade or something like that. So, you know, I, I just thought like, well, I guess everyone grows like 10 years when you go from seventh to ninth grade because everybody <laughs> in that movie is 30 fucking years old yeah. so i guess like everybody gets just gets really old all of a sudden so um so they're like yeah yeah of course you'll do the commentary uh unfortunately uh it didn't work out but um they did get lisa gottlieb the director of it to do uh to, to do it as well and i was in the next studio when they set it up and uh I think I might've had COVID at the time. Uh, this was back in January. So I think I was patient zero, but I had never been so sick in my life. And I had just gotten the flu because um, on the movie crypt, we do a 48 hour podcast where a 48 hour marathon, where we uh, do it to save uh, dogs at a dog shelter called Yorkiethon. And we stay up literally for 48 hours, drink a lot of coffee, do a lot of smack, and just try, uh, you can edit that out, right? You can, that's totally fine. Like sure, talk sure. about the hookers and blow. Sure. Yeah, good, yeah. good, good. Uh, but essentially we, we, you know, we keep ourselves awake so that they don't get put to sleep. Really good slogan. But afterwards, and this is, this is also what happens on like film productions. And I'm sure you guys have been in this situation before too, where 
you work on something so hard, you're doing all nighters and then you, your adrenaline wears off and you mm-hmm. get really fucking sick. So I usually just get used to after a couple days doing the Yorkie-thon uh, and the, and the, the Coke and the lewds kind of wear off. Um, I get like flu sick really bad. So that just that, and that came and that went. And then two weeks later, I got, I have never had uh, like illness like this before. It was totally respiratory. I passed out on the control board when we were doing mixing for this one project. It was that bad. Like I was driving home on the 110 and just like literally just like, um, oh, I'm, I'm melting. Uh, but before that, right before I started feeling, you know, like that moment when you know you're getting sick, where you're like, oh shit, like I'm getting sick. Yeah, you, know? you feel that frog in your throat and yeah. You you know it's coming, right? Yeah. So uh just on the precipice of that, they're like, Hey, the castle just one of the guys is outside if you want to say hi. I'm like, fuck yeah. Immediately totally forgot about the sickness, went out there and I'm hugging everybody. Fucking Ari Gross and I, I'm just like Oh my God, I loved you in the experts. Clayton <laughs> Rohner, I'm like, oh my God, I could just talk about April Fool's Day forever. Like, I, I could not have gotten more touchy feely with this cast than I did that day. So, if anybody got COVID from that, it was totally my fault. <laughs> I apologize. But that said, I don't think they would have done a commentary without me going, hey, we should do a commentary for just one of the guys someday. Doesn't the world need that? Um, and if uh, and I believe uh, Sony Entertainment put it out, it's a great fucking commentary because I hate, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way. There was a time where commentaries would be done a week before the movie would come out for like mm-hmm. new releases. When mm-hmm. the like in the advent of DVD, when it was like, well, everybody, we're you know we're hanging out. Um, you know, I think this movie's going to turn out great. The the box office, they're they're really saying that the box office is going to be like awesome. And then you realize that, like, no, the king, the kingdom of the crystal skull did not go over as well as everyone thought. So don't worry about, you know, like thinking about that shit. I I prefer it when it's um, movies that are retroactive. Yeah. You know, like when when there a little time has passed and people can not just sit there and slap yeah, each other absolutely. on the back and go, he was a real trooper and she was a soldier during this. It's like, no, cut the bullshit. You know, like. It, it's so much better when they can step back and go, Oh my God, look at my hair or what were we thinking? And that is 90% of just one of the guys commentary is oh, them man. just retroactively making fun of themselves. It's glorious. So, so there you go. There's, there's what I've, there's, uh, there's actually, that is about 30% of what I've watched <laughs> uh, in the last month and a half. So if you I want have to do that on box, every fucking show, shit, yeah, I like it's hard. Show. Like I sat there and went, like, yeah. how the hell do I like cut this this list down? And <laughs> do I want to do I want to talk about Ford Fairlane? I don't know, but <laughs> eh, we'll save it for next time. Oh wait, last one. Did you guys see um, uh, Random Acts of Violence, the Jay oh, yeah. Baruchel movie? Yeah. Why are people not talking about that movie? People hated more? it, man. Oh my god, it's a fucking it's fucking amazing. Yeah, I was I have never seen a serial killer movie that had a moment where the serial killer psychs himself up before a kill. I have never seen that. I've always wondered like why don't they have those moments like those character beat moments. And there's there's many of them in this. And this movie is gory as fuck. It was actually shot by um 
Kareem Hussein, who did uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, Possessor, which was my favorite movie last year. It's a gorgeous Jalo movie looking movie. Uh, it's got all of the, it, it feels like a Bava film. And there's like that, there's that one scene and, and there are many of them like it, but this one kill where this, the killer is actually outside of the car where all the kids are in the car going, what's he doing? Where, where are we? Like it goes against every rule that a slasher movie from the eighties uses by actually showing the killer's like psyche and the process and then proceeds to have the killer come in and repeatedly stab someone about 40 times in like quick succession. Whereas usually it's like stab or flock or weed whacker, you know, you get like one or two, um, you know, impact hits and then that's it. You know, whether that was the MPAA who was cutting it out or it was the way it was designed. No, this motherfucker comes in and just starts fucking stabbing someone multiple stabbings is so scary like in uh the great uh or what was it called runaway train when they would like when they went oh my god fucking like john boyd and shit it's like shit or like when you watch like any movie that's set in a prison and someone's getting shivved like american (laughs) new or something like that it's brutal you know because it doesn't feel calculated it feels very primal and uh, and yeah, if if like if anyone had any doubts that Jay Baruchel is like not a really talented filmmaker from Goon Two to go from Goon Two to random acts of violence, like man, that motherfucker has range, and uh, and I cannot wait to see what he does next. But if you're if you're a fan of slasher movies and giallo films, yeah, um, no, it's I, I would highly recommend uh, random acts of violence as well. That's okay, why I was so I'm shutting surprised because I, I saw it I saw it at uh, Fantastic Fest. And I come out and I'm like, this is fucking great. This movie's like made for me. It's super brutal. It's really mean. It does some incredibly creative things. The gore kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere at times, especially the last mm-hmm. act. I'm like, man, this is really kind of fucked up. And then it just seems like people were just not into it. And I just didn't under I I didn't understand it because I was like but it's good, <laughs> you know, but it does, are, are you, it does you... go into like meta sort of stuff too, where, right. Yeah. Like, look, we, we both, we all know like the fantastic fest crowd can be very receptive to an audience, but at the same time, like they can be, I hate to say it, but it, you know, they can be a little snobbish too, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like and what? if you don't hit the right chords, I know, look, I've had two movies play there at this point <laughs> and you know, I've seen, I've seen the crowd, embrace me and i've seen the crowd turn on me so like it's it's a fit it was i guess you could say it was a fickle crowd um it didn't help well no the the first time that i played a movie at fantastic fest was wrong turn two and in my introduction i farted into the mic for about 30 seconds so i don't know if that was uh, a good thing or a bad thing this is where stephanie's like i'm done i'd be like just shut him up and turn him off um but yeah, like, like I'm shot. I'm not completely surprised that um, that it wasn't embraced because it does have like a, yeah, a, 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 like a meta approach to it that I could see some people being turned off by. But give it a shot. It's it's yeah. Really I thought it would. I thought it would like kind of blow up when it hit Shutter recently, but just no one really talked about it. Well, I think so, well, but not until now. goddammit. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I, you want to see a movie about a. Go ahead, Sean. Well, no, I, I go ahead. There's a there's a delay. There's a delay. I'm go sorry. ahead. I think 
it's it's been hard this past year, I think, with streaming to keep up with what the hell is on what streaming service. I think for me, a lot of movies have kind of True. flown by, and I have I have no idea what's out. I have no idea. I don't. I, mean, I don't have time to listen to podcasts. I don't. Have, I don't have time to pay attention to what's out. But it's. I think the lack of theatrical release, the theatrical release, um, like nothing's been coming out. So it's kind of hard to separate like the theatrical releases from like what's hitting streaming or whatever. It's just it's been a crazy year. So I just bought the Blu-ray just now as we were talking. It's like twelve bucks, and and then I then I saw it was on Shutter. I mean I can watch it, but I want the Blu-ray. But I mean that's great. But yeah, it's been a weird. Hey, it's, it's, it's now come theatrical has come down now. Unfortunately, it's it's become another marketing tool um, because think about it most movies that even go theatrical, they have a window of what one weekend to maybe if they're lucky anymore, eight weekends. And then after that, the movie does not live in that format anymore. It lives yeah. on physical media or it lives on streaming and, or it lives on, you know, uh, like cable or what have you. So, you know, the real home for these movies ultimately is where content is going. I hate it. I like, look, I I'm the biggest proponent for, the theatrical experience. I got my vaccine specifically so I can see Congress versus Godzilla <laughs> immediately because I want to see that on the biggest screen possible safely. But you know, like the the reason why people start talking about movies anymore is because of like the the windows of exposure. Yeah. And when a movie comes out in theaters now, it's like especially with the window of the, the like theaters to um, to home video release has gotten shorter and shorter. Remember when fucking Batman came out and it was like a year before the VHS came out and it was like, it was such a big hit that it created a, like um, almost a, it created a demand. You wanted to, you couldn't wait for it to finally come out. And now like, I mean, if, if things are coming out day and date, you know, like everyone's all up in arms over black widow coming out day and date, which, you know, it, it, it does eradicate some of the thrill of being able to see it like, yeah in a theater when you're, especially if you've got to pay 30 bucks for it. Like I, I, I fully endorse if someone wants to stay home and watch, you know, Kong, you know, at home, you know, hopefully they got a big screen. They got some really good sound, um, you know, and like crank it up and make sure that the Wingard neon hits them in full blast. Fine. Do it, you know, to be safe. But you know, like, I, they, they, there's going to still be movies out there that are going to, that I need to see in a theater, yeah. you know, and like nobody, nobody's coming out this weekend. I was actually up for that movie. That script was fucking amazing. And then when they're like the hardcore Harry guys doing it, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to see what that, that's going to come out. And like how that's going to come out. And I hear it's great. And again, that's another movie that I would pay to see in theaters but yeah. that shrinking window is making it incredibly hard for us to take the theatrical experience with any weight and any respect because right. it's it's all going away things you know? just get things just get like I, just ironically dumped. at the advent of go, oh, go ahead Mike. sorry that delay hit me <laughs> uh you know ironically at the advent of uh uh vhs the studios played with releasing films day and date i remember like nine mm -hmm. to five was released uh on vhs as it was in the theater they were playing with that idea of selling, what you know the movie for like 150 dollars on tape or you could go see it in the theater yeah nine, nine to five holy shit much in tandem yeah but um oh so by the way if you haven't seen the nine to five disc 
the nine to five disc has some of the best commentary tracks ever. Uh, like, so I, I highly recommend the nine to five, actually nine to five. I, I basically remade nine to five in mayhem. <laughs> so if you, if you wanted to see where mayhem really came from, it was nine to five, nine to five is a dark fucking movie. They try yeah. to kill their boss with yeah. rat poison while showing Lily Tomlin looking like snow white. Like <laughs> if it, if that doesn't get subversive, I don't know what does. Like right. I they're trying to kill American a... treasure, Dabney Coleman too. So, I mean, <laughs> he's, an, oh, oh, okay. I got to ask you guys really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the movie short time? Short. I don't think the I've one, seen uh, short time. Oh, oh my God. Time with uh, Gregory Hines. No, with God's gift, Dabney Coleman. It has one of the best. All right, two things. It has one of the best concepts. It's about a cop who's about a week away from being uh, from retiring, and he's playing it safe because he doesn't want to get you know because he doesn't want to get killed because he's going to retire and he's got a fat pension. And then he finds out. um, He goes to the doctor to get a physical. And they, uh, this asshole who's also in the waiting room with him, who doesn't want to get busted for weed, switches the medical records. And unbeknownst to that dude, he's got six weeks to live. So now Dabney Coleman finds out that he falsely has six weeks to live. And the only way that he can get his pension so that his family can actually survive is if he dies in the line of duty. So Dabney Coleman, for the rest of the movie, is trying to commit suicide by getting killed in the line of duty. And ultimately becomes the best cop on the force because he's kill- He's literally throwing himself into <laughs> scenarios going, shoot me, fucking shoot me. It's genius. It also has, and I'm putting, I'm putting the fucking gauntlet down right now, one of the best car chases of all time. Wow. Just saying it. I know everyone's got their hard-ons for Bullet and Ronin and Friend Connection and you know, and the, the first 20 minutes of, um, you know, six underground or whatever. I was going to say Blues Brothers, but. This car chase scene, it is. The, this car chase scene is amazing because the whole time Dabney Coleman is like, like chasing these dudes going, shoot me right here. Fucking shoot me. And of course they don't. Um, I loved it so much that I actually, at like two in the morning, one night, I ended up having this moment of inspiration and I took a, a, a 311 song and this and the car chase scene and did a mashup and and just made it at two in the morning and I Which showed it to the band the, uh, All it was uh, wait don't know it, what to do no, <laughs> no it's Amber no. Amber no it was not Amber that's either. the color of I've your looked, energy Joe oh. <laughs> hey I've done three videos for those guys so I can't knock them uh, but they <laughs> love this they it was called time bomb and uh and I ended up just making this video kind of like, remember the video that um, Metallica did for one where they used the footage from uh, it was Annie got his gun and created a video out of that footage. So I essentially made this music video out of the car chase scene and they loved it so much. They actually used it as their video, as their music video. Cause no, you can't so- find this movie anywhere. I think it might still be on YouTube. Um, but it's one of those movies like Mute Witness that just kind of got lost in the annals of VHS oh, to DVD transfer and no one has mm-hmm. ever heard of it again. Um, but yeah. if you get a chance, look it up. I think someone should put it out on a certain uh, um, uh, special edition disc. Look, if you can fucking make this movie relevant again, you can do <laughs> yes. it again. God yes. damn it. Is that in plastic, Joe? Come on. Man. <laughs> I, have, I have two copies of it. 
I have two copies. Hey, I, I also uh, don't have a 4K player. So a ton of my stuff's in plastic. I'm sorry. It's uh, you know time. Time is money. All right. Just trust me. If you get a chance, short time, you will not be disappointed because Dabney Coleman is amazing. All right, man. So you there know, you go. I'm shutting up. I haven't now. seen it. So Sean cut me off uh, <laughs> earlier, and then we just kind of kept talking. But if you um, you mentioned about how killers get psyched up um, before beforehand, there's this uh, movie from the Netherlands, uh, and I don't think it's hit yet to the States. Um, I don't know if it will, cause it was made a couple years ago. Um, but, uh, you can find it on Blu-ray in the Netherlands and it is region free, I believe with, uh, English subs. Um, but it's called bumper cleef, uh, AKA tailgate. I hardly know her. <laughs> and, uh, oh boy. And the movie is absolutely insane. It's, uh, this, um, it's this guy who just drives around and he purposely goes slow and cuts people off. So people react to him and then he gets into a fit of road rage and tries to kill the person. But he, <laughs> when he, when he's attacking, he dresses up in this like pest control, like hazmat suit. And he puts on chemical, like a backpack, like with a spray. And he'll go up to the car and like, he'll try to spray people and blind them and get them sick with the chemicals, but not actually stab them. That's how he reacts. But he always wants a reason why that he is doing this. So if you were, let's say you're the dad, right. Of the, 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 you're the dad of, uh, uh, you're the father of the guy that like uh, cut him off. So your son cuts this guy off. He'll track you down and say, do you think that you raised your son appropriately? Be like, well, yeah, I did be like, but are you responsible for his actions? And they're like, well, he, my son can make his own decisions, but are you responsible for how he was raised and they'd and you'd be like well yeah then he would try to fucking kill you because he wants so, a reason so it's <laughs> so it's an existential unhinged as directed by michael hannity <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah there you but go but still but still could star russell crowe but could still star russell crowe if you wanted it's, to it's That's, just that movie sounds of, amazing it's in insanely like it's 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 scary but yeah, it's called Bumper Cleef, uh, aka Tailgate. I, I believe is the translation for it. But it's all, all I'm yeah, it's bumpers. It's, I'm just finding it's bumpers crazy. on Amazon. Yeah, and if you look up Tailgate, you'll just get shrimp and cinnamon <laughs> toast crunch at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's that when this comes out, we'll be like totally past that. <laughs> but it's 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 really good. It's 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 such a good fucking movie, and it hits super hard and it's in its crazy fucking suspenseful because the whole plot is that this family is taking a trip. He's trying to get to point A to point B really quick. And he accidentally cuts this guy off. So he basically hunts down this family, two little girls and a uh, mother and father. And this, this motherfucker's relentless. (laughs) And, but, but it's not like, it's not gory. It's not like that. He is, 
fucking spraying them down with like pest control chemicals you know hazmat suit it's it's fucking crazy it's so good though wow. it's it's literally it come probably, out uh probably a couple years ago like 2019 i don't oh, think it's, so it's had, recent yeah yeah it's it's not it doesn't have u.s distribution i think and being that festivals have kind of you know flourished i don't think it actually had you know a chance over here so it's it's huh. just stuck it's just stuck in the netherlands um but it's 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 definitely one of my favorites that i i saw uh i saw i think i saw it at the beginning of this year um it was uh it was actually i got to see it because it was a a a submission to a festival that didn't happen and that's how i got to see it and it's just it's unbelievably good so for those listening it's all one word bumper cleef k-l-e-e-f so just do a search yeah. for that and I mean, there's the IMDB page, but I mean, so you said yeah, it's on, it's, on Blu-ray on Netherlands at least? Yeah. Yeah. I think it has, uh, English subs. Okay. Uh, for that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing and wonderful. It's very, very good. Definitely the most intense film I've seen in a very, very long time. So what else have you so. been watching, Brad? I'm, we're going to keep you, we're, we'll, we'll put you on the hotspot now. What have you been thank watching? Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I'll, I'll be quick. I'll only talk about two more. Um, so I watched uh, the 4K, uh, the ultimate, here we go again, the ultimate cut, the complete story of Watchmen that has uh, the Black Freighter segment stuff cut into it. Um, it runs close to four hours i think it's oh, long zach snyder's never done that before like three and a half <laughs> how how i don't think i've watched that 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 cut how is it with the animated scenes in there do you does it start feeling long did you watch it in like, no two no halves it's how does it, it feel it's uh no? no i i never watch movies in two halves jesus <laughs> i sit and watch the whole goddamn thing uh so it's 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 constructed uh, differently because you know, if you just watch the the Black Freighter, it's just all, you know, 20, 25 minutes yeah. that when it was, you know, released after the Watchmen uh, was initially released. So this has the uh, additional footage of uh, another kind of storyline of this kid that's reading uh, comic books. So it, it's it's the, the Black Freighters spread out throughout the Watchmen's uh, movie. So whenever, you know, this kid is going back to this... Uh, um, kind of uh, magazine uh, uh, kiosk. Uh, he opens up the magazine and, and reads a little bit more, uh, kind of following a little bit of a story that uh, kind of reflects maybe Rorschach's character a little mm-hmm. bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I forget how long you said three hours and thirty minutes, uh, Mike. I I think so. It's it it feels it it. I remember, I, I want to say that I saw, like, put on, like, the display button to see how long it was. Maybe you're right. But still, it's, it's, it's really good. I, I honestly, I've, I, I've only seen Watchmen in theaters, so this is the first time that I've seen it uh, again, but in a wider scope. So this is not only the director's cut that came out after the theatrical, this is also has um, the Black Freighter stuff, which is the cartoon but or the animated part um but also has those interstitial of this continuing story of uh like i said this kid and the, these characters are in the film more because rorschach interacts a little bit with them as well but all that said 
uh, this movie is fucking mean. It's incredibly nihilistic. It, I love movies centered around bad guys, and I, I love the anti the anti hero thing. I love I love when bad guys are kind of the stars and stuff with like the comedian, and you know everybody in this movie is bad, really, aside from um, maybe Night Owl a little bit, but he's also trying to do stuff for his own benefit and kind of to achieve his. Uh, inner self in a way, but he's not as selfish of everybody else. But I mean, it's, it's just like, it's so fucking good and it still hits super hard. And I feel like not a lot of people talk about this ultimate cut of, of the Watchmen um, because I, I think people, I don't know. They, I mean, I've seen a lot of discourse recently over a lot of movies that are over two hours, which I don't understand because <laughs> I mean, as all of us that sit here and talk about movies right now, um, we are uh, we watch foreign movies, <laughs> and, and I don't know how many foreign movies I've seen that are under two, two hour hours uh, through the history. <laughs> history, man, you just want this to end, don't you? I'm kidding, I'm um, totally <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but a- anyways, like watching this entire like storyline and and what the original vision is. I mean, I haven't seen uh, the new Snyder cut, whatever it's called, Justice it's League. Like, it's really is good. it called it's really the good. Justice League? I, I mean, I'll watch. I like Zack Snyder, but so. Um, but watching this is just because I think the 10th anniversary happened recently. And that's what kind of sparked it. Plus my kid wanted to see it. And, you know, it just, it just hits so hard and it's just, it's just really, really good. And I know we talk about so much about like these DC movies and Marvel movies. It's just watching sitting there. And I think it's like the fucking that opening the shit. Scene. That opening credit scene is one of the most amazing oh, yeah. opening yeah, scenes great. I've ever seen in a film. I mean, Zack Snyder. Look, I know people give him shit, um, but that ultimate cut, um, I actually, I really enjoy as someone who really enjoys the comic because mm-hmm. no look as slavish as he was going to be. I remember when at Comic Con when he showed like the first images off, and everybody in Hall H just went like. Oh! <laughs> like they couldn't believe what they were seeing but we all knew going into this that like there was no way that that warner brothers would theatrically theatrically release the version of watchmen that was going to be as completest as possible it had to go yeah. through a couple iterations for us to be able to get to have the comic book interstitials with the pirate you know parable um i i recently watched it about four or five years ago and i felt the same way like it, it's as complete a version of that very cynical, nihilistic story as you were going to get. Um, I mean, remember when Terry Gilliam was going to direct Watchmen? Like, <laughs> yeah. In the 80s? yeah, he wanted to like, go up to like a six hour series on it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw the HBO show. Um, I oh, would highly recommend watching. So, it's amazing. It's very good. It elevates, it, like, it not only elevates and subverts what Zach did with the movie. But uh, also makes fun of it too, in a way, which I yeah. think was great. Um, but if you get a chance, like if you can watch the uh, the ultimate cut, watch the series right after. Um, it's it, like the series is a true perfect. sequel to the book too. 
Yeah, yeah. Tr- yeah to the yep. comic. Yeah. Because it ties it, everything together really well. Yeah, because yeah. it, it it it's like the squid happened in the HBO series as opposed to Zack Snyder's, yeah. where it's you know, uh, where it's not the squid. But I mean, but it still very much feels like a part of the Zack Snyder universe that he set up. And it's like it's such a weird. Mm-hmm. Series, but it's so it's the so, multiverse, so Sean. You could answer everything through the multiverse. It's the multiverse, yeah. And also, how long has Screencast been around? Nine years or some bullshit like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first time that Brad has talked about a comic book movie on the show. It is fucking not, Brad. You've mentioned not, Blade uh, nine hundred times. Yeah, on this show. Blade Blade is Blade <laughs> is completely different animal. Blade is completely different Marvel animal. Comic wait, book is, wait do we not do we not, not like Blade? Is that no, the I love awesome. I Blade's Blade. Awesome. I yeah, I, okay. Blade's like one of my favorites. Blade, Blade was another one that I that I watched that I kind of glossed over because I'm like, oh, these guys are gonna think that that's like too lowbrow a choice, but <laughs> fucking Blade rules. <laughs> Stephen, easily Stephen Norrington's best movie. I don't know if you guys saw Death Machine uh, or saw the movies he did after, but like there was yeah. a moment in time where Stephen Norrington just hit it, like hit it perfectly. That opening scene in Blade. Especially yeah. now, like if you watch it on HBO Max, they have a gorgeous 4K transfer of that movie. And it like it. I mean, that movie came out in what, 98? Mm-hmm. And it looks just as gorgeous as it, it as it did back then. It looks better now, I think. Um, but yeah, that like that's a that's a Marvel movie and that's an R-rated Marvel movie and no mm-hmm. one bat an eyelash. And then now it's like, Oh, whatever are we going to do if we can't have our Deadpool three be R rated? You know, like people are up in arms about that shit. We'll go back to Blade. <laughs> like, Blade, I, I love that movie. I'm, okay, I'm glad that you guys are pro Blade. Now you don't have oh, to yeah. be pro Blade three, but we can be pro, pro Blade. It's, it's called Blade Trinity, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you let's not uh, let's just not call it. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, if you have you ever seen Stephen Norrington's The Last Minute? No, that's one I've I've never been able to find. It, it came out. Oh my it, it never came out in the states, right? No, it, it came out on DVD. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it did. It, oh, it, it hit DVD. Like yeah, in probably like two thousand, probably four or five. Uh, you know, he of course he did. You know, Blade, and then he did, uh, or he did Death Machine, Machine, and then gentleman. he did. Yeah, yeah. So he's only has like four movies under his belt, but he he did this before. Uh, you know, LXG, and it's just. It's it's such a movie. It, it, one, it's 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 one. That's what the LXG, cool kids yeah. call that movie, yeah, by the way. The real Stephen Norrington fans call it that. So, anyways, <laughs> he. Um, I, I call Blade yeah. Trinity BT. So. You know, that's <laughs> so, but yeah, the last minute is is one of those movies that I wish that people saw because it, it's it's just it it's one of those things that make you uh, think. Um, and it's also something that puts your, uh, it kind of puts your life in perspective within the first like 20 minutes, you just kind of feel like shit because he breaks wow. down like a- anybody that watches it. He literally breaks down your life for you. Like it's like basically a character talking to the camera, kind of explaining the situation that he's in and how much you've, how much time you've wasted with your life, no matter what you do, because he, he starts breaking down how many hours you normally sleep, how the time that it takes you to poop, the time that it takes you to eat, how you don't even start your life until you're like 10 years old. 
you're only going to live to your 70. And he just kind of breaks this down hey, where he's Joe like, just turned 71. Quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's off the table. So yeah, it's, it's really good. It has these, uh, it has one of the best villains in it called Mr. Sledge. Uh, and it's played by, um, uh, he's you you know him by his face. I can't remember his name, but he he's he's in a lot of he's in a lot of things. But uh, uh, it's 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 one of the best movies that I saw probably around that time. But wow. it's it's wonderful. I, yeah, and it's not available on streaming. So obviously, get if you can find a video yeah, store just, that has yeah, that. You have sort to of buy thing. the DVD. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. But uh, the next thing that I've uh, that I watched, this is the first time for me, and I've watched I watched this back to back because I uh, this is probably my favorite movie of all time at this point, and I don't know how many times I'll probably watch this, but I, I saw it for the first time, uh, the Curious Doctor Hump. Um, so, so this movie is is I. I uh, something I could probably watch on repeat for the rest of my life. Um, so I initially started with uh, the curious Dr. Hump, which is uh, the quote unquote hot version, uh, the sex up version that has quite a bit of, uh, of uh, extra sex scenes um, in the film. Why and would a movie uh, called, uh, I didn't Dr. mind Hump it. have sex scenes. Well, the thing is, it's just it's 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 very uh, gratuitous. I mean, we actually don't even have our first line of dialogue until about 15 minutes into the movie. Um, that is just these uh, inserts that were put in to make it more appealing to audiences. So it's like 20 minutes of extra extra sex scenes, which I didn't know. Because then after it was finished, I still loved I loved that version. But then the next night I was like, well, I'm going to watch, uh, you know, uh, the sex monster is the other the what it was originally originally called. Uh, and then I believe it's called uh, La was it La Venge La Venzaganza del Sexo. Hmm. Uh, it. So I watched this that makes so much uh, sense. Yeah, I watched I watched this I watched that the next night and this this version just blew me away because all that stuff is taken out. It follows its actual storyline rather than having these uh well somewhat like, you know, softcore porn inserts uh in the film and it follows a story about how the, you know, this um reporter is following kind of these missing persons case comes across this uh, doctor who is um, uh, using people for uh, the uh, kind of getting themselves sexed up to extract this stuff to make himself, you know, live longer. It's a very wicked plot. Still, uh, the plot of the movie doesn't change. It just has a little bit more dialogue in between the characters. Also, the dialogue is different because I watched, of course, the subtitled version, which is the version that everybody knows because that's what was given to America. But um, the this is originally uh, a, um, a, a film from, from Mexico. So when you watch the actual Mexican version of it, it uh, has uh, subtitles. So it has the original language, which, again, changes a lot because 
being that I watched them back to back, I remembered a lot what the characters said, and it's not that. Um, so it's a little bit more serious because maybe they didn't know the translation when they were doing it, or they tried to make it a little bit funnier. Um, but uh, the original version of this movie totally works a lot. lot. I, I still love both, but it is a little distracting with all the sex scenes once you watch this other version, which we're talking about multiple versions of a movie again. Both of mine were, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, that you have, it, it just, it's so needless in the movie because you have the exact same movie, but you're a little bit more on track r- rather than having these sex scenes that are inserted that these characters never, ever show up again. Um, it just, it, it, it just works. It just works better, but, uh, definitely it's a great soundtrack. It's really weird. It's super wonky. Um, but it has some cool characters, uh, like I said, great music and it, it, I don't know, even though it's kind of sleazy, I find it, I I found it really charming all around, like just really fun and an easy watch. And, uh, yeah, I, this thing's going to probably be on repeat quite a bit. Um, Mike, are you a fan of the curious Dr. Hump? Because you you would be, uh, the something weird, uh, DVD. I remember that was one of the early ones I bought when uh, there used to be this Borders. Well, there used to be Borders, period. <laughs> <laughs> but I would I would go to Borders and I'd order like a Diet Coke and get them to put a splash of vanilla in it. And then my thing was I would just look at videos for hours and hours. But then uh, when I discovered something weird, you know, you could yeah. get like two or three movies on one disc. It was great. And they were packed with trailers and I mean, we, we know why we love something weird, but yeah, that's how I... Yeah, yeah, because I, I bought a lot of that stuff too, and I had this DVD for, I don't know how long. I had this DVD for the longest time, but it's one of those things that I never watched. And I, like Joe said, you know, I'm going to get around to it. I was going to get around to it. And uh, I just never did. And then when Agfa w- put it out, um, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'll pick that up. And that's what I'll watch because I know it's going to have the restoration. And as soon as I picked it up, I, I, I put it in, and then I realized that uh, I was watching it. And then during the uh, the dub version, I kept hearing lines. I was like, wait, that's from all those fucking Rob Zombie songs. I oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> My so, yeah. Yeah. My body loves Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he has, uh, you know, used various, uh, you know, uh, dialogue cues from, from this movie and put into uh, a few of his songs, uh, which I found it, which I found interesting, but yeah, it's just, it's this weird, really kind of sexed up, but uh, the, ver- the original version isn't as sleazy as what, you know, what America did to it, but um, it's just, American. it's so, so good. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just when, when you watch it, you, you just realize that I'm glad I watched the sex version first because I don't think I, I just appreciated what the the original version was just a lot, lot more. Um, because when I originally rated it, I was like four stars with the sexed up version. Then I watched the next this other version the following night, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever fucking ever seen. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm I'm in love with this movie sure by far. Like yeah, nice. no, it is. I loved it. All right, Steph. 
You want to do? You want to do one? Should we do our thing where I'm we so just show them and we don't say male anything? Voices. <laughs> Stephanie, please. Oh, that's funny because I'm. I no. <laughs> I have nothing. I I <laughs> did South by Southwest. So tell us about South by Southwest. Last week. Tell so. us about some of your favorite films on South by Southwest. Yeah. Yes, please. I look. I came here for the Crawford, so you have to <laughs> at least let us know what yeah, happened yeah, at South by. Let us know. <laughs> I started work at six a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, just real yeah, quick, what no, are your favorites it, it, and, and and you know just, just run through your favorites and why no don't make her do it she's writing for the site right direct everybody to the site, Go to the yeah, site. no, one, no one reads what i write i know it's fine no our our, our um uh, okay definitely our have jumped up um the Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched Folklore documentary. Ooh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> it, it might be. That, that was that was Kirla's film, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, she works she on it. She does some of the best special features. She's so good. Yeah, well, this is years, years of work into it. Uh, academics, amazing footage, some of it really rare from other countries. Uh, it's incredible. It's over three hours and it can be six hours and I'd want more. Uh, so that was definitely a favorite. Um, there's one called Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break. <laughs> and that's a, a British comedy about um, a guy who uh, wants to try out for kind of a, a reality talent show thing and it goes terribly wrong. So he goes on um, a vengeance mission, uh, but it's a misadventure after misadventure. So it's incredibly bloody, but he's just such a cheerful bloke about it. And it's, um, uh, it's almost like a Jacques Tati kind of movie, but people are getting their heads exploded. Uh, so that one I recommend. You think the filmmakers saw Shaun of the Dead twice? <laughs> you know what? Ouch. I don't want to speak Ouch. for anyone. I'm going to say four. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I've seen it four times. <laughs> so I don't think I need to convince any of you to see a Barbara Crampton movie, but Jacob's wife is just... I can't wait. Her firing on all cylinders, oh, she gets man. to do everything. She gets to be sexy. She gets to be funny. She gets to go full animal. It's beautiful. Uh, I, I think people really like that one. Spoiler yeah. alert. I worked with Barbara on my creep show episode, and she is amazing. Not only is she so good in it, and I'm... Um, Spoiler alert, she plays a Karen, which was so much fun to do. Um, <laughs> she's one of the night. I, I don't know if you guys have ever met her yeah. before. She is one of the nicest people. And I truly believe, like, if you're worried that I'm 71, honestly, I think Barbara Crampton is a vampire because she so. is stunning and she, she still looks that. stunning. She's radiant. And she, it, she really is like she is one of our like patron saints of the yes, genre yes. and like the stuff that she's got coming up that she's working on. Mwah, she's the and, best. I'm so glad so, to like, hear that you like that movie. She's so supportive of like the genre and young filmmakers and young actors. It's, it's like, she's so encouraging. Like she's, you know, I mean, I, I so I don't, I do, I'm kind of involved in like the horror fiction, like books and Brian Keene is like, he's like, um, he kind of lifts up the horror oh, yeah. writers and he kind of acts as this cheerleader for young authors. Like Barbara Crampton is like this for like, like the horror genre and film. Like she's just this like national treasure 
of just like, like she like likes posts that I post on like about my kids on Facebook. It's like, what? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, she's amazing. <laughs> Tell Brian Keene he's the Barbara Crampton of horror fiction. <laughs> yeah. <make> yes. <laughs> yes. That's good. That is good. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to mention one more movie, a uh, violation out of Canada. It's a filmmaking team. Um, Madeline Sims Fewer and Dusty Mancinelli and this is uh, one of the most intense movies I've seen in my life Wow! Violation Ooh. it's kind of miserable uh, mm, but I in like a really wonderful way because uh, it plays out everything two uh, characters gang along they play out the entire conversation um, there, someone's having a fight they play out the entire fight wow. <laughs> uh, um, there's a, one of the most uncomfortable seduction scenes ever. And you just, there's an erect penis on screen for five minutes. Ooh. Uh, and now you have my getting, attention. Yeah. Uh, someone's yeah. getting strangled. It plays out in real time, oh. not movie time. It plays out in real time. And you see every moment of uh, someone needs to get a uh, blood out. It plays out in real time. Someone gets so sick. Um, it does not shy away from anything. It's incredible. <laughs> I've never seen, uh, I've seen intense films before, but uh, this, uh, it pays as much back to the emotional uh, beats as the horror ones. And I, <laughs> I, I probably needed um, a prank show to watch afterwards as well. Because <laughs> It's incredible. So make sure you're in the right headspace, but absolutely see violation. Yeah, Holy that sounds shit. that Holy sounds shit. that sounds interesting because I, I um one of my favorite things, I can't remember the title of it, but it's based off a true story about this serial killer overseas. Um, and it's a really, really dirty ass movie. And there's a scene in the movie where the he's Golden Glove. Yeah, Golden Glove. He strangles that woman in that apartment and it's like fucking 15 minutes long because it's a it's like a real strangle and i was like why don't movies do that more because yes it's so well it becomes time. a gimmick then because then it becomes True. something like yeah. like what gaspar noe did with like irreversible where it was like yeah. you're watching it all unfold but and then as much as i admire that movie you know especially on a technical level it, like it, it's it becomes part of the gimmick Whereas this sounds like something where, and I think Golden Glove does the same thing, where it feels voyeuristic without feeling like, hey, everybody, yeah. look at us doing a wonder. You know, Stephanie was <laughs> was the movie. Did the movie play itself out in like long takes too, or does it, it does it yes. have like normal? Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, not yeah. not a hundred percent, but. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I don't want to say it plays out like a documentary, but it almost had that kind of impact. Mm. Um, yeah. It, it's almost like you're just sitting next to the character covered in their vomit or blood and you're <laughs> trying to comfort them or you're trying to hide in the corner of the room. Uh, and it doesn't play out like a gimmick at all. It earns everything. Because um, I, I don't like being manipulated. It's really easy to put disturbing, horrible things in a movie and get a visceral reaction. This one really makes you con consider what's going on and what the consequences would actually be if it played out. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds interesting. That's uh, it's funny. Cause I, uh, Madeline had a lot of shorts that had played at festivals. 
So this is like her first feature. Um, and she, she's always pushing, pushing the limits. And she's yeah, the star of the film too. Effort. Yeah. It, mm. Oh, wow. I mean, amazing. That's so exciting. Mr. Can't uh, wait to, for a year to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, did, didn't Shutter pick that up? Did Shutter pick mm-hmm. that up? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so six months. So there months. you go. So so six months. Six months. <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike right, Delaney. You want me to tie it all together? Mike Delaney. Yeah. So I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to tie this back to other parts of our conversation. I'm pretty oh, good wow. at this. Okay. I'm pretty good at this. So Mike is earlier, good at this. We were talking about a creep show starring Hal Halbrick. Uh, 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 late life Academy Award winner. We talked about uh, Walter Matthau, also an Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor. And then here we go. A third movie with the Best Supporting Actor that I watched was uh, uh, Ed Wood the with the uh, immortal Martin Landau. I, this is one um, I'm sure like most of us uh, that are nerds for Ed Wood stuff, but this is one I watch almost every year and I get something different out of it uh, each time. I was... Uh, enjoying to uh, to joe's point earlier about the the commentaries i do enjoy the commentary for this one tim burton usually doesn't do a good commentary he's very he's very quiet and he just listens to danny's score most of the time but this <laughs> one they uh you know they cut him up with uh martin landau colleen atwood uh and then of course larry and scott uh the the writers and they're they're actually the highlight because they they chronicle their uh, career trajectory from problem child to uh trying to get uh ed wood greenlit and um yeah all right and we also talked about dabney coleman dabney coleman starred in one of my favorite made for tv movies bad ronald uh you might remember the scene where he's wearing a wife beater or what we used to formally call wife beaters uh and he's like doing sit-ups and drinking a beer uh before he discovers that nerd in the walls but i watched another tv movie i love this is the VH1 classic Hysteria, the Def oh, Leppard story. Wow. Oh, <laughs> is that an official that. release? This or... is an official release. You see the Paramount banner up here. Oh. And then, you know, okay. lest anyone tell you it's not real, you even see the, the blue marking here. You know, this is like cryptocurrency, these Paramount TVs. <laughs> but, um, but this is a great one. You know, any movie that opens with a really terrible car crash and fourth. Oh, it ties back to cars, Joe. You were talking about uh, uh, Dabney Coleman in a car chase, so it all goes together. But you know, of course, the Def Leppard story. Everyone loves Def Leppard, right? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I do. Sure. I, got, like, I have like everyone all their, sits there silently. I, I have all their records, Dude, those, and, those and VH- sets, and everything. Those VH1 movies at that time were fucking great. They had like the Man yeah. in the Mirror, the Michael Jackson one. They Jackson the- Five one was great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, the uh, MC that was the first story one, so, yeah. where he, he fucking has like a banana in his pants and he's like <laughs> shaking it out at the pool. It's amazing. Uh, Brad knows this is my favorite, but uh, Douglas Grossman's Hell High. Uh, this is a, a slash oh, yeah. I usually go back to. Um, I love I love the performances in this movie, particularly uh, the uh, uh, the kind of Chris Penn esque uh, Jason Brill. He plays this. Uh, this fat uh, comic relief called uh, Smiler. But uh, the star of the movie, in, in my opinion, is this kid, uh, Christopher Stryker, who died of uh, AIDS before this movie was even released. But he, uh, he plays just, uh, it, it's, he plays like uh, Eddie Haskell meets like Ted Bundy or something. Um, 
but it has a, a great rock in uh, late 80s soundtrack and uh and a pretty you know a pretty uh strong performance from maureen mooney who was a uh uh, soap opera um, actor at the time, but uh, yeah, no, this is. I, I actually had a chance to sit down and talk to Joe Bob Briggs about it a couple of years ago, so he was he was kind enough to give me some. There's a commentary on the disc too, right? Oh yeah, this is yeah, this is the one that uh, Media Blasters put out a, a few years ago. They, I think they did maybe Steph. Do you know maybe like ten of these, a dozen of these? They wow. did yeah, like, the only one I have is uh, the Ray Dennis Steckler. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They did Skid Row Slasher, meets the Hollywood Strangler, and then they did uh, Blood Sisters, the the yeah, Findlay yeah. film, right? And then they did uh... oh Samurai Cop. <laughs> the best nice. Uh, anyway, they're all great. <laughs> and the, oh, and you know what? The last thing I'll do is uh, you know I got this uh, last year the Severin oh. box set. You know the the Al Adamson box set. I did the. The complete package. Oh wait, let me uh, let me grab that. Real I missed quick. out on that set. I I it's like I should have grabbed it and I didn't. You know where you get the? I, know, uh, I missed out on it the too. Carnival Magic shirt right there. <laughs> that's oh, fun. that's so cool. But uh, but you know that that this set's great. Again, the commentary. Sam Sherman does a commentary on uh, nearly every uh, picture in there, um, and then uh, the great documentary. Did you all see the the Severin documentary? On? Yeah, I saw the doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a uh, it's. I mean, it's pretty entertaining given, you know, what happens at the end of it. But uh, no, just a uh, like Ed Wood. You know, a true uh, true maverick and original. Uh, the commentary first. Satan Sadists, I, I think, is is really compelling because that was the first uh, that was the first one he and Sherman did to release the uh, to start the new distribution company after they did those uh, Blood Island films, right? Because they had just come back from the Philippines and they're trying to reestablish here in the the U.S. So they got uh, Russ Tamblin to play this <laughs> sadistic biker. So it was like a oh. Joe was talking about, uh, I have to tie everything together. Joe was talking about <laughs> Asphalt Jungle, Russ Tamblin starting Gun Crazy, which was <laughs> one of the, the, the great gun uh, crazy. first cycle noir. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to tie things together. Really <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs> oh, Good job, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Because I will not tie anything together. <laughs> All right. I think you're up, Sean. Daddy D. Yeah. Daddy D, go. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the first thing I want to mention before I get to because I've been watching You're a lot gonna of things. You're going to talk about Quantum Leap again? No, no. I've been, I mean, I have been watching a lot of things with my kids, but the, I want to Have you guys thought I... about my Sliders podcast again by any chance? <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because I'm going to be on the far, I have a Farscape uh, podcast that I have to do in about 15 more minutes. Oh, so. man. You know. All right, dude. Uh, good word for me. Wow. So <laughs> I finally, I finally oh, watched family. I finally watched, thanks to Vinegar Syndrome's Vinegar Syndrome's lovely release, uh, Fade to Black, the 1980 film that has always been like you know one of the things that people always always wanted to see. I've always talked about it. It'd been on streaming, and I finally cracked open the the Blu-ray, the beautiful beautiful release from Vinegar Syndrome, um, and I adored this flick. Um, you know, it's like we don't get a lot of we there's a lot of films that get kind of like film obsession. Like they, they follow these kind of characters, like in a weird way, like this gets so much right <laughs> like about 
how fucked up we can be <laughs> as fans of films and everything. And it's just a really fun film to watch. Uh, as is messed we become up as fanatics. We do become fanatics. Yeah, there you and go. And, and, and you got a clue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I finally watched. Hey, you thought Black. you couldn't tie it in. Uh, <laughs> um, but then um, I've been kind of like so this whole last year I've been haven't watched a lot of horror. I've been kind of connecting, you know, trying to find things to to watch with my kids. Um, we've been going through like movie series. We've been going through things that that they're kind of old enough to watch that they haven't watched yet. We've watched like Lethal Weapon, the whole series. We've watched. A bunch of things, uh, but one night I did. I wanted to do this um, double feature because they're kind of talking about you know like movies where people get caught in video games, and so we did a double feature of Max Cloud, which stars Scott Adkins, and I was like, what can go wrong with the with the Scott Adkins flick? This is gonna be amazing. <laughs> and then there was another movie called Max Reload and the Nether Blasters. So they both very similar covers. Um, kind of sort of similar ideas with, you know, people getting caught up in video games. Um, Max Cloud, this girl gets sucked into a video game, but she gets sucked into like a, a man's body. And I was like, we're, me and my daughter were talking afterwards. It was like, it's like, why did this actress get sucked? Like the, the whole movie is this stupid guy, you know, and we know it's the girl in his body, but it was like. It, my my daughter was so uh, upset, or not upset, but kind of like, um, did I talk about this one, Mike? Did I talk about this one? Did I talk about yeah, it? Yeah, you did. Did yeah. I? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm the screencast historian, man. You talked about this. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I was, was going to say something. I did was you? like, okay. wait, did he talk about this like, did I? I on can't a remember. chat? I can't or did remember. you talk about remember. this in the podcast? I can't remember. I don't know. So, okay, we watch this. All right, we'll skip those. Max Reload. The better one was Max Reload and, and the Nether Blasters. <laughs> okay, that, that was the better one. Um, but then, so what I was kind of trying to get to is like, we've been kind of going through this, uh, uh, sci-fi, um, kick. So, uh, I brought out Looper for... He's going to talk about Quantum Leap. No, I brought out Looper. (laughs) Ryan Johnson's Looper. And so, um, all my kids watched it. They're ages 8 through 15. And, um, it's rated R, but, you know, I'm a kind of dad that lets my kids watch R-rated movies. But I think this movie like hits on so many levels with the the well thought out kind of time travel. What I mean, the, and the idea of like, what if you meet your future self? Um, what if you have to kill your future self? So like, we had a fun time watching it. And then there's kind of like this Akira, you know, like child, you know, telekinetic child, super child. Uh, and so we had that was really fun, especially my my eight year old was like that kid. This kid could do that, so he was really fascinated by that. But we had like, but like watching the movie was fun with them. But like well, the funnest thing I think was like afterwards, talking about like time travel paradoxes and all this stuff with my kids. That like you know those kind of conversations with kids are just fantastic because they don't have you know a history of things that they've watched or read to to really draw upon. So they were. You know, just talking about like, well, what if, you know, I met my future self or what if, so if this happens in the past and so they're kind of putting things together, um, with everything. And the one thing Did that you really, fucking shut down their dumb ideas. No, I let them, I encourage their dumb ideas. The one thing that really, really fucked them up was the scene in Looper where the, so that this guy has to kill his future self, but that his future self runs, but he gets captured by you know by the guys who run this whole you know this whole business of you know the loopers 
And as this guy's running mm-hmm. around in the world, like they have his younger self kit, you know, tied up and they're chopping off. They're literally chopping off body parts. And like the older character, he's all of a sudden he misses, a, he's missing a foot. So he can't stop on the brakes. He's missing a hand. Like that kind of stuff really kind of got their imagination, imagination going. And it's just a fun conversation to have, um, with this movie. And then of course I told them that, oh, he directed uh, the last Jedi. And then we talked. We're talking about Star Wars, of course. I think it goes back to Star Wars, but um, so watching Looper with my kids was like just a blast. Um, very much a highlight of my of my week last week. Um, and then we've we've started the 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 new Planet of the Apes trilogy, and uh, so we watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes last night, and that thing hit. They they loved it, and so now. They're begging me. They're begging me tonight. They're like, how long have you been recording? We want to watch Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So that, I mean, watching that again after so many years. um, That's why you wanted to leave. There it goes. It circles back around. Yeah, yeah, you know. That's the reason why you wanted to end this show like an hour and a half ago. Well, my kids say he came in and gave me a hug and said goodnight to me and everything. He was all kind of bummed, but, but so I'm, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping by next show I'll have watched more horror because I'm kind of, but last year, it was very much like, and I've said, I think I said this on the last show, like I kind of avoided horror, um, but I think I'm kind of ready to get back into it. So, but that's what I've been watching. That's come back, come back, Sean. Back. <laughs> We're waiting for you. Well, you did, you did say you watched the Lethal Weapon movies. What did your kids think about Lethal Weapon two? Uh, so I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> they had, they loved it. I mean, they they loved the series. They had a a blast. Um, Lethal Weapon two. Did. When you when you're a parent, when you're a parent. When you're a parent, like the weapon too is like, is one of it's one of those movies where it like intercuts a sex scene with like integral like plot elements, like kind of like backdraft. So that's apparently yeah, like go to the bathroom, kids. <laughs> Patsy Kensit is on. So it's like, do yeah. you let the kids watch? The kids watch, uh, you know, Mel Gibson getting his fuck on. Like, they, you know, we just went. Did they cry? Because I cry. I, no matter how many times I've seen the Lethal Weapon two, I always get teary eyed. It's. I mean, they were they were sad. I think my youngest was like, "Wait, what? She died?" You know, he was very like, "No, not a, who gives a shit about that." I'm <laughs> oh, talking about God damn it! When the toilet the toilet bomb, <laughs> they cried at the toilet bomb. The toilet I'm being bomb, serious. My kids were laughing. Brad, Brad no is being there. serious. I want to see. What no, I'm being doing. serious because he's on the toilet, and then he like Riggs tells everybody to get out. And then there's a and moment they have that where moment. He, he grabs okay. him. He goes, "Hey, no, it's a great moment." And he goes, yeah. "He goes, yeah, I know, man." And I'm like, "Oh my god, just tell him I love you." And then they <laughs> go in the, the closest. It's, it, it's the closest they will have ever gotten to that "I love you" moment we've been waiting yeah. so uh, long for. Yeah, and it's and a it wordless moment. The second movie. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yep. and it's perfect, and it's it's one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest moments in history of movies for me because it's something that you that you're allowed to say i love you to a friend that's a man one and there's just and it's such a good moment because they accomplish so much in the first movie that they're not saying it in the fourth movie they're saying it in the second movie in the beginning on it's the peak of the series it's what you've been waiting for that entire first movie and it's the second movie yeah Yeah. and it's just and by the way I'm the biggest proponent for four. I love that movie so much because oh, no, I think it's, it's just great, them yeah. riffing. Because yeah. when you find out that there was no script, that there was a guy <laughs> named what Channing Gibson, wink, wink, wink. Uh, like, oh yeah, sure. Like, but the chemistry at that point, the chemistry is on autopilot. Yeah. You know, like you can just yeah. throw those people in a room 
and let Andre Bartakwiak or whatever the fuck his name is, the <laughs> Romeo Must Die DP, shoot the fuck out of that movie. And you can just tell Richard Donner just went, just, just, just go, <laughs> yeah, just, just do your thing. Yeah. It's fine, you know. And if you can have a, a cast that can cre- conjure up chemistry out of nothing. <laughs> then that's a franchise worth saving. You know, it's like, oh, I'm yeah. still no, hoping for the day that franchise. they're going yeah. to not get too old for this shit and jump Come back on. into the car one more time so that we can have one more shot of them on a bridge from really far away, hearing them in voiceover. Cause that's, <laughs> that, that's another moment that you can never take away from the lethal weapon series is the let's follow the car in a wide shot over the bridge as they expound on some exp- exposition or some chemistry bullshit. Yeah. Your kids are in good hands, Sean. They yeah. are being taught the best. <laughs> we're, well, we're having Brad, a blast. Let me ask so, you this real yeah. quick. Brad. Real quick. Real quick. Just for Brad. Yeah. Uh, Rick just for me? Or, uh, or Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh. I know it's weird that I say that, but Riggs and Murtaugh. Well, we've Just had because, four movies to enjoy them. Yeah. Where we right. only had one movie with the other guys. But but there's there's a dynamic in there that they you know it, it's interesting that you paired them together because the somewhat the chemistry is kind of the same in a way of saving one another. But um, Riggs and Murtaugh because it, it's it's something that um, there's a there's a there's a family like brother but element to it more than Dalton will ever have so yeah mike good question though king of bringing things back um it has been an epic over two and a half hours everybody um so i'm gonna literally telling me like shut the fuck up it's time to wrap it up (laughs) Uh, joe lynch man thank you so much for hanging out with us and chatting about movies and i'm so sorry i'm so sorry to talk like too much my no, apologies. Not just, at all. Look, not at all. We've all been cooped up so long. I need to like <laughs> grasp at every box I possibly yeah, no, can. Is, Please talk great. to me. It's, so, it's great. It's been an honor, guys. I'm really thrilled to have been I part mean, of it. With an epic show like this, like Screamcast is back. I try to keep us at an hour, but it always fails. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this has been. That great. wasn't going to happen. You did not <laughs> even try anything, bro. <laughs> I tried. I tried. We shut you down as soon as you were like, wait, Matt, my. Mike, you need to leave? All right, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Just like how you killed the fucking show like a year ago. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I think, look, look at Screamcast is back, everybody. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. It's going to, whatever, what, what's going to happen is going to happen. Joe, thank you for joining us. Um, as on, on behalf of everybody else, we'll talk to all you guys next time. We're fucking back. <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. So how can I turn sound off on my phone? Oh, here we go. There we go. Okay, you guys, you still, you still hear me? No, I can't hear you, Sean. What's up? Oh, damn it. Okay. Well, I'm trying to get it so no sound. Sean, are you talking? Phone. Yeah, can you hear me or no? No, I can't hear you, buddy.
Can you hear me? No. Uh. Can you hear me now? Uh-uh. Are you going to hear me here? Are you going to hear Probably me Probably not. No. You're messing with me. Yeah, I You're am. messing with me. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie was so good. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs>